babelfish is small, yellow, leech-like, and probably the oddest thing in the universe. It feeds on brainwave energy, absorbing all unconscious frequencies and then excreting telepathically a matrix formed from the conscious frequencies and nerve signals picked up from the speech centers of the brain. The practical upshot of which is that if you stick one in your ear, you instantly understand anything said to you in any form of language. The speech you hear decodes the brainwave matrix. Now, it is such a bizarrely improbable coincidence that anything so mind-bogglingly useful could evolve purely by chance that many thinkers have chosen to see it as a final and clinching proof of the non-existence of God. The argument runs something like this. I refuse to prove that I exist, says God, for proof denies faith and without faith I am nothing. But, says man, the babelfish is a dead giveaway, isn't it? It proves you exist and so therefore you don't. QED. Oh dear, says God, I hadn't thought of that, and promptly vanishes in a puff of logic. Oh, that was easy, says man, and for an encore he goes on to prove that black is white and gets killed on the next zebra crossing. Most leading theologians claim that this argument is a load of dingoes' kidneys. But this didn't stop Ulan Kalufin making a small fortune when he used it as the central theme for his best-selling book, Well, That About Wraps It Up For God. Meanwhile, the poor Babelfish, by effectively removing all barriers to communications between different cultures and races, has caused more and bloodier wars than anything else in the history of creation. Six minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11 in this, the month of January, the year of our Lord, 2009. Thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970, The Talker. This, my friends, the Rick Emerson radio program, an excursion into amusements of all varieties, manners, shapes, sizes, and forms. It is uh, 503-733-2970 if you'd like to join us today. 503 503- 733-2970. Thank you for uh, coming along. It is Tuesday, and welcome to Day 12. And I should do a little Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy clarification. The reader of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy audiobook is, in fact, Stephen Fry, not Stephen Wilson. I don't know who Stephen Wilson is. I think he might be an imaginary person. Uh, and my apologies to Mr. and Mrs. Wilson if I've just called their son imaginary. But you know what I'm saying. It's 503 Today, 503-733-2970. With your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, ponderings, ruminations, uh, whatever it is you got. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane. Unless, of course, you're calling in the first segment, in which case you're going to go into auto hold and your call might never be taken. So, just like FYI. It's 503-733-2970. Uh, you can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at 
RickEmerson.com, Sarah at 970.am, or Richie with a T at 970.am. Coming up today, ladies and germs, uh, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins will join us from the Hill. Uh, we'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent Amanda Moyer, who's talking about Rod Blagojevich. I just go back and forth on that guy. Sometimes I think he's great, and sometimes I think he's a douche. And sometimes, I th- most of the time now, I think that he's both. He really is quite something. He was on Larry King last night, and, well, that's just a meeting of the minds. Larry, Larry King, who... I get the feeling that Larry King, and I use this reference a lot, but I think that Larry King is kind of like that... What's it, that Haddon guy in the movie Contact? Where he's just floating in that bubble in outer space or something, and then talking to Jodie Foster... And I get the feeling that Larry King doesn't really exist like on our on our plane of reality. That he's just in some sort of some sort of amniotic fluid filled studio somewhere in the cosmos, and that he's just sort of beamed down here like Space Ghost style to talk to whoever. In last night's case, Rob Lagojevich, who really just seems I I can't overstate this, just seems like a tool. But I think he's probably uh, I think he's probably going to come through this uh, fairly clean. Because he's just so unbelievably weaselly. I mean, he's just started to tell everyone uh, that he's being framed by the media, and I think that the Republicans have done a good job of laying the groundwork for him for everybody to believe that. I think, really, the Republicans have spent about 15 years saying, well, you know, the liberal media constantly takes things out of context, and that uh, that's just gotcha journalism. So now he's completely using that uh, in his own defense, and I think it's going to work. So good for him. It is the American way. Uh, let's see, what else? Steve Kastenbaum uh, will join us today. You, I, I hate to even say this. Start everything off on a, a on a down note. Do you know on Monday? And I don't mean like Mondays is like all the collect. But this last Monday, yesterday, seventy thousand job cuts announced. I mean that was like I said, it wasn't like That's Mondays pressing so far in 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 January so far in this year seventy thousand. Um, anyway, but he's but he, but he has a good sort of um. I don't know, he has a good sort of he has a good sort of analysis on on uh, you know like like where those jobs are going to be absorbed. So we'll talk to Steve about that. Let's see what else. Uh, and we will talk to Jim Roop, six-time winner of the Golden Microphone Award, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, about, because I guess I mean don't get me wrong, I don't uh, I don't wish to become optimistic about anything, but it does seem like uh, it does seem like however compromised and corrupt he might be, as all politicians are. Uh, that Obama is certainly the rubber's kind of meeting the road on at least a few different things. So uh, 68% approval rating. Yeah, which is the highest I think since Kennedy. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think he might tell the uh, the auto industry to get bent on uh, continuing to produce cars the way they've been doing. So I don't know. We'll find out. So we'll talk to Jim Roop about that. Uh, coming up later on today, Katie Darrell will join us uh, from TMZ.com to tell us uh, what you ought to be caring about today. David Walker will be here pitching in uh, with the uh, news. Let's see what else do we have. I think that's it in terms of it. So we have Lisa Desjardins, Amanda Moyer, Steve Kastam, I'm Jim Roop, Katie, Daryl, David Walker. It's amazing we get anything done. I mean, that's like six no, people right there. we don't get anything done. Ah, it's amazing we don't get anything done. It's not it's amazing not, we don't get anything done. It's not amazing we don't get anything done. Exactly. Okay, it took three times, but that's exactly what I mean. That really is it in a nutshell. Well done, Sarah. And um, so forth. It's 503-733-2970. By the way, I'm not going to say who it is. But there's somebody here at CBS Radio that has as their ringtone something in your mouth by Nickelback. And it's not ironic. 
No. It's embraced wholeheartedly. I'm not going to say who it is. Who would you be close enough to know? I'm not going to say. Can we turn off our microphone so you can tell me? I say the thing is, I don't know. I don't think you know who it is. I don't think you know this I, person. I should hope not. You. That's Sarah Dillon who said that. I, of course, respect all our coworkers here at the CBS Radio. Rick Emerson is a team player. Everyone must row in the same direction in this river called radio. So there you go. Uh, there is somebody. I'll put it this way. There's somebody upstairs. Um, who has, as their ringtone, something in your mouth by Nickelback. And I wasn't quite sure... the guy? I'm not going to say. Oh. I shouldn't clarify. I shouldn't say anything more about it. No, I'm not going to I'm not gonna say. Oh, come on. I'm not going to say. I can't, I can't say. I, I said it at the very beginning. Well, yes, they do. <laughs> I don't wish to seem as though I'm holding anybody up for derision, though, Sarah, so we're not going to... Uh, I'll take it during the break. Okay. All right, it's uh, 503-733-2970. We are joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillman. Hello, how are you today? Hello. Right. Oh, I'm doing well. Hey, you know, Man, so I didn't, yeah. I was just going to say, I'm glad I didn't wear yesterday's sweater today, because then you and I would have had a weird, we, yeah, we would have had a weird sort of yin and yang sweater thing going on today. Although, <laughs> just for those who are playing the Rick Emerson clothing home game, this hasn't happened for at least two or three weeks. Today, Chris Paddock and I showed up, same coat, same scarf. Same scarf from the same store. But he's wearing no like less. a, but at least not the same sweater. No, no, no. We have different sweaters. Red and white. He and I are both wearing uh, sort of Banana Republic style brushed wool gray, uh, uh, like peacoat kind of things, and then we are each wearing a black and gray striped uh, Gap uh, scarf. So mm. just Look like in you case guys. you care about that. All you right. guys are so cute. Then we're gonna ride a tandem bicycle home and sleep in bunk beds. So yeah. Oh, and I'm so I, like I'm already kind of off today because after I talked to you on the phone this morning, I totally left my phone at home, and it makes me feel off. And so you feel off kilter. It's like leaving your wallet at home. I totally yeah. I totally feel off kilter. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't realize that it was going to snow or that it did snow. And I was watching uh, Tyra this morning. Of course. And then all of a sudden, like, the reception went out. I was like, shh. I'm like, oh, okay, that sucks. I can't, you know, get my three minutes of Tyra Banks. You have rabbit ears. You don't You, you don't have cable. Mm, no, I don't have cable. Do you have your converter box? No, I, I sent out for coupons for it, so I just need to do that. Can I tell you this? I, please I don't know don't. what I'm going to do without my two and a half men and family guy and reruns of Friends every night. I like That's five, all I can get. <laughs> five things to ask right here. Uh, one, please, this is not an invitation to call. Don't call about this. I know that you think you're helping, and you probably would be, but please don't call about and tell me how to... Please don't call to explain the over-the-air digital analog changeover antenna. I don't care. Don't call about it. I'm just saying, as just as an observation, I don't really understand anything about that. And again, I can't stress enough how much I don't want you to call about this. What about the converter box? Yeah, thing? It, it's just enough to say that I, I don't understand. Um, but you know what? I don't understand. I, I have cable. F, F everybody. I, I don't have to care. I don't have to understand. The, the cable comes out of the wall. My service remains uninterrupted. Doesn't matter. Doesn't affect me. I don't need to care about it. Um, do you watch Two and a Half Men? Okay. So here's the thing. Is that I only get... I get... This uh, is a justification, CW. isn't it? Oh, it totally is. Because I didn't initially like it. I thought it was the dumbest show ever. But now, since by dint of nothing else being on, I've started <laughs> watching it all the time between the hours of... Okay, so at 5, I don't watch any TV. Usually like 5, because I'm like running around doing stuff. Mm-hmm. So give them at 5. So 5 o'clock, there's a Friends rerun. 5.30, uh, that 70s show. Then 6 to 7, it's Family Guy. Right. And then after Family Guy, from 7 to 8, it's um, an hour of uh, Two and a Half Men. Which... I have come to find, you know what, I do feel like I'm justifying, because I'll tell people, we'll talk about Two and a Half Men, and I know so many people who secretly watch that show who think it's hilarious. You know, Lycus watches it. 
I think it's pretty funny. Now this is Charlie Sheen and John Cryer. Yes, and but I like it. Um, I like the little kid. What is the premise of Two and a Half Men? Uh, Charlie Sheen uh, does like um, he writes jingles for commercials, and uh -huh. he's like a like a drunken like slutty mess, and he lives in a beach house in Malibu. Like seriously, he's it, it's he's just stretching. All, yeah, seriously, it's all like sex jokes and like how he's an alcoholic and and uh, John Cryer's wife leaves him, so he doesn't have a, any place to live. So he goes uh, to live with Charlie, uh, who goes by his own name. Right. Show, which is weird. And so like so, John Cryer and his son live with Charlie, and shenanigans ensue. And it has the girl from um, who's the one that makes out with uh, Kate Winslet in that movie that you made me watch? Heavenly Creatures. Oh yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, so she's also one of the main characters, and she's the kooky neighbor who's obsessed with Charlie Sheen, who always like breaks into their apartment. And, you know, Julia uh, Julia Holm is her name. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I think it's kind of hilarious. It has like a like a lot of like crude sex jokes and a lot of you know. Um, Sir laugh kind of track. Drunkenness. Um. When there's your laughter, like when you're watching the show, do you hear do you hear chuckling and and guffawing? Oh yeah, they got I think so. I think I think there might be. All right, it sounds it's, like it's not so bad, but I mean, it's either that or whatever that um, you know, those horrible like everybody loves Raymond, which I will never. You don't watch. want to watch that. You can't no, I never watch. No, no, that makes you dumb. No, because that's like yeah. the only thing other thing on. Well, I'm a strong advocate of the CW, uh, Sarah, and of, of all of their programming. So, uh, well, that's it, and it sounds a little bit like. Um, not necessarily a ripoff, but it does sound similar to this show that used to be on called My Two Dads. Uh, and I was actually, I'm, I'm unashamed that I was a fan of My Two Dads. That was a show. Rick Emerson voted yes on that show. So, all right, I'll have to watch it at some point because here's the thing. is a good sitcoms are really hard to find. And Lycus watches it? Lycus that watches Two me, and a Half okay, Men. That makes me feel better. He does. Because he's so, a smart man. He really is. Uh, yeah, he said he, he actually the other day was listing off the TV shows. This in, I think he was specifically talking about sitcoms that he doesn't miss. And he was talking like The Office is one of those. And Two and a Half Men was the other one he name checked. Mm. All right, excellent. But, oh, so my point was, like, this morning I was watching Tara and it went out, so then I changed channels, and it was like, I changed to Fox 12, and all of a sudden it's like, chaos on the freeways, you know, cars smashing each other. I didn't even realize that it had snowed. Yeah. So it's like, you know, 9.20 in the morning, and I'm looking, and it's like, okay, and I look outside, and of course it's covered in snow, which, by the way, I have like a little tiny car, and I got to work just fine. I, that's right, because people are retards, and they don't know how to deal with half an inch of snow, no, which is the thing we say like three times a year. There's this guy on the news who's panicking, he's like, uh, this is worse than Arctic Blast 2008, stay in your homes. He was freaking out, and he's just like, honestly, I can't get anywhere. I don't know how anyone's out there driving. Was this a man on the street who was saying this? It was some guy in the west. He was in the west side, I know, and he was calling in. He was oh, some God. traffic expert on Fox 12, and she's like, how is it, Jim? And he's like, oh, everyone shouldn't leave their homes. They should stay where they are. Are you so kidding me, really? I kid you not. It was ridiculous. And so I looked outside, and I'm like, that only looks like about an inch. And, I, and the thing is, the snow didn't start coming down until, I mean, relatively late in the morning because... I was going to say this. My wife bicycled to work this morning, friends. So, I mean, just in case your soft wow. suburban ass is staying at home, if you're sitting there, I don't know, I don't think I can get out of my driveway. I'm not trying to tell you this is not like about how great my wife is, although she is pretty great. She bicycled to work. So, you know what? Your spongy fat ass can get in the car and you can drive to the office. Go I be productive. I didn't once. And no. I was stuck behind jackasses going, you know, like 15 miles an hour. That's the, see, and that's the thing. So you, so you called me this morning and you said, hey, are you at work? And I said, no, I'm stuck on the Ross Island Bridge. And you said, how's the, how's the roads? And I said, you know, there's no snow anywhere. It was absolutely and totally, I mean, it wasn't dry because I guess it was sort of raining and melted. But there's no snow at all. Yet traffic had effectively just stopped on the Ross Island Bridge for no reason. That's so frustrating. I was like, I was being like the a-hole and like zipping around Good people. For you. It was it was frustrating. You know I'm what? like, really, you're mm -hmm. making me late. But I did see. I'm glad I didn't try to take the bus because I saw two 14s that were stuck on Hawthorne. I saw one that was stuck and I saw one that had been in an accident 
on like 25th and Hawthorne. So I mean, I wouldn't have been able to catch the bus anyway. This world is just a, you know, just a, just just a bunch of children. So we share this world with Sarah. I know. Right. Hello, Richie Bristol. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are Glad you? to see you made it in today through Hellgasm uh, 09 or whatever it is we're calling it today. <laughs> Hellgasm. So, all right. What did you do last night, Richie? Ah. Uh, what did you watch on your eighteen hundred dollar uh, television? Did you watch Two and a Half Men? Uh, no. Oh. I watched Lost. Was Lost last night? No, it's tomorrow night. No, but I watched. I don't know. It was so long. I didn't remember parts of it. Did you watch episodes one and two from last week? Yeah. What did you think? You're rather laissez-faire about everything, by the way, because first of all, you got an eighteen hundred dollar television over the weekend. I, I just say you... that passively, just like oh. Fifty-five-inch TV. And it's like yesterday when you were talking about how you. What'd you do? Well, I spent two thousand dollars on a television, Rick. And I, I said, well, is it a plasma or an LCD? And he said, I don't know. It's it's, it's really big. Well, okay. What did you watch? I don't remember. Something on my Xbox. Was it a movie or a video game? I'm not sure. It was Slumdog something or other. Oh, the day the Earth stood still. Isn't that also not available on DVD? Never mind. You know what? It's not going to be my fault when the MPAA comes and arrests you. It's awesome. It's awesome? I mean, uh... I mean, when it comes out on DVD, I would love to borrow it from you. Seriously, when Jack... When Jack Valenti's henchmen, they come and they drag you away in cuffs for copyright infringement, you're not going to be able to plead ignorance. I'm not, I'm not asking anything else about it. They copy nothing. It's just right through my Xbox. Whatever. Anyway. All right. It's uh, 503-733-2970. Here's what's coming up today. Uh, so we will, around the corner, talk to Amanda Moyer. We've got Lisa Desjardins coming up. Don't forget, later on this week, uh, tomorrow, we'll be talking to Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. And then Thursday, pardon me. <coughs> pardon me. I'm going uh, coffee today, too. I got a whole thing. I think I inhaled something today. Uh, Thursday, we'll be talking to legendary horror film makeup artist Tom Savini. And you may or may not know who he is. If you don't know who Tom Savini is, you know what? I'll make it interesting anyway, because it's what I do. If you know who Tom Savini is, though, you know how righteous that is. He, uh, has, If you've watched any amount of uh, slasher or horror or splatter films, especially in the 80s all the way through the 90s, uh, you know his work. And he was really a pioneering uh, person in the field of, of horror movie makeup. So I watched this old documentary last night about horror movie makeup called uh, Flesh Fantastic, which is a big section on Tom Savini. Tonight I'm going to be watching the... And apparently this isn't even out. See, I realized this is why I hadn't heard of it. It doesn't come out for like a week and a half. This two-disc uh, collector's edition uh, called... His name was Jason, which is a is against a double DVD 30th anniversary retrospective of the entire Friday the 13th series. So I'm going to be watching that tonight. Uh, as part of my preparation for our interview with Tom Savini, uh, which is happening on Thursday. Uh-huh. Um, let's see, what else? I had a, uh, a few other things to get to. Don't forget, one random on-air caller today will win a, uh, a Star Wars vinyl statue. Today, Obi-Wan. Tomorrow, Anakin Skywalker, both provided by our good friends at Things From Another World. You can find out more at tfaw.com. That is Things From Another World. tfaw.com. Uh, slash Rick. So, there you go. Uh, I have some other stuff to get to, but you know, I might as well not get to it now. We, we should probably take a break and we'll sort of catch up on everything. Oh, also, by the way, tomorrow. Tomorrow, Mr. Skin, uh, also on the program tomorrow, just so we can start addressing the awkwardness now, Kelly Clark from Willamette Week. Well, apparently I did not grow up or touch, at least not in front of a camera. Well, we can just discuss it with her when, when she found can we? can we do it endlessly? Can we call her husband and have him on the phone while we do it? That'd we be sure great. Can. That's wonderful. All right. We'll take a break. Come back after this. Uh, your phone calls, Amanda Moyer and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Continuing next. Don't go in.
Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Couldn't hear myself there. 503-733-2970. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Show. Thank you for coming along. Later on today, we'll talk to Cena Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Uh, let's see. Steve Kastenbaum, James Roop, Katie Darrell from TMZ, David Walker joining us uh, at the uh, news desk. He looks badass in his hat today. He does look badass. <laughs> oh, by the way, you know who does not, and then we'll talk to Amanda Moyer in like four seconds. You know who does not look badass, uh, at least at this point? You know who ought to uh, get down on his hands and knees and thank his lucky stars that he is rich and famous? is Quentin Tarantino. And don't get me wrong. I mean, Quentin Tarantino is Quentin Tarantino, and I'm only Rick Emerson. But I was watching this documentary. It's called Fantastic Flesh, and it's this... It is this history of, not special effects, but sort of makeup and sort of uh, specifically sci-fi and horror movie makeup effects as they have evolved since the days of, like, the original Phantom of the Opera and the Man of a Thousand Faces and whatever. And they're talking to Quentin Tarantino, who worked with, I think, Tom Savini on From Dust Till Dawn. Boy, Tarantino's just become just a weird-looking sweaty bastard. I mean, just, he looks like, he looks like some horrible... There's just no way around this. He looks like some some horrible like mongoloid Robin Williams. It's just awful. It's just it was so. I actually did this. This is the final final observation I'll make about it because it's a purely visual thing. But if you ever get a chance to see this documentary, really you'll you'll know immediately what I'm talking about and you'll know that it's true. Is Tarantino came on the screen and did you ever see somebody come on the television screen and you weren't quite expecting them to look the way they do because it's been a while since you've seen them. Sort of the Mickey Rourke syndrome, and they come on the screen, and your first reaction is to kind of do like a ah, and you pull you pull back a little bit, sort of a don't let it get too close to your to your hands kind of a thing. That was my reaction, to Tarantino. He's uh, someone needs to take him into a room and give him a good scrubbing and a good everythinging. Uh, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the South, specifically from the CNN Radio Center in Atlanta. Our good friend Amanda Moyer. How are you today? Good morning. I'm well today. How are you? I am fantastic. When's the last time you saw a good close-up of Quentin Tarantino? It has been a while. I'm, t- I'm saying there's something about... I, it's almost like... Uh, it's almost like there are people who don't realize... what, Even though they work in film, they don't really realize what a camera does. They don't realize that a camera actually is pointed at you and captures your image so that people forevermore may look at it. And just... It, it was his, his, his... Some sort of weird misshapening that has happened with his head and then it was almost as though he had been i don't know coated with some sort of shiny quasi gelatinous substance i mean i it was he was sweating like robert hayes at the end of airplane it was altogether very off-putting i uh i actually had to pause it at one point just sort of walk away from the tv just to get away from it it was it was a disturbing way to end my night but you know that's not your problem so much as it is mine so let's just forget about it. hey speaking about about guys and the way they look on camera though I don't know whether it's going to work or not. My gut sense is that it is. But I was watching Rob Lagojevich just do the whole, um, do the whole circuit. He did the View yesterday. He did Larry King last night, and he did. I'm missing something else. He did like Good Morning America or something like that. What was the, what was the full run of TV shows he did? Do you know? Oh, he's done a lot of them. You're right. He did Good Morning America. He did The View. Then he did, uh, uh, he did Fox. Uh, cable, then he did uh, Larry King Live last night. Today he's got like 10 or 11 more that he's doing. Uh, he's again skipping the impeachment trial. Uh, he's going to be on CNN at, uh, with uh, Campbell Brown tonight. And he has a whole host of programs that he's been basically uh, just kind of giving his point of view on everything and saying over and over again how the trial is unfair and why. And uh, 
He's very suave about it, too. You know, there's a, him, Blagojevich skipping his actual trial and going right to Larry King, it seems like there's some analog there that I'm not quite able to grasp, but there's something there a bit like, uh, you know, in some of the recent campaigns, how politicians have skipped the traditional or at least augmented the, the traditional methods of fundraising or reaching the people by going to, let's say, YouTube or, you know, Barack Obama did this sort of infomercial thing and Howard Dean was the first guy to really raise a lot of money using the Internet and just eschewed a lot of the more traditional avenues for that sort of a thing. And it does, as somebody long ago said about something entirely different, it almost is, is as though Rod Blagojevich understands something about the American public and the political process that no one else quite grasps because you can tell that this isn't just to amuse himself there, there clearly is some sort of strategy here uh, about taking his case like right to the right to the cultural zeitgeist correct oh absolutely i mean he is courting this case and in, in, he wants the public opinion to weigh everyone to weigh in on this and that's still why he's hitting so many different types of programs like you were saying, I mean, he's hitting Larry King live, but he's also hitting The View to get people who are home during the day. Then he's trying uh, Good Morning America. I think he was on the early show this morning, so that's CBS. So he's trying to hit as many people as possible and to kind of look like the victim. He's portrayed himself saying this isn't fair, and and he doesn't really tell the whole story, of course, but it doesn't matter because in the court of public opinion, all that matters is him winning over as many people as possible Meanwhile, senators back in his state are listening to transcripts and uh, getting down to the grittiness of the trial. And uh, so what is the, I guess the best case scenario is that he keeps his, he keeps his job. But I mean, is there, is there some sort of, I mean, is this kind of a thing where he might keep the, keep the gig, but then they, they punish him, they give him some other kind of punishment, like he's got to pay a fine or he gets censured or something like that? Or is it kind of an all or, is this a pass-fail class he's in right now? Uh, it's pass or fail, I would say. Uh, what, what, what's going to happen is... When the this completion of this trial, a uh, two-thirds vote is required to impeach the governor. Almost everybody says that's going to happen. The governor himself has even admitted uh, yesterday he kept saying he's going to be out of a job, like many others. When they were talking about layoffs, he was telling people that he was going to be out of a job. And uh, what happens is not only will he be impeached and lose um, his role as governor, but the the Senate could actually – vote to remove him from ever being able to run for a political office in Illinois again. Oh, well, that's just denying the rest of us entertainment, though, Amanda. That's just wrong. Well, all right. Hey, do you watch the show Two and a Half Men? I have seen it before, not lately, though. All right. Now, when you watch Two and a Half Men, would you say that your reaction to it was A, positive, B, negative, C, indifferent, or D, you can't really remember at this point? I would say A positive. A positive. All right, excellent. We're sort of uh, I'm canvassing the people today because I've never seen it, uh, but uh, I very much like it. <laughs> Sarah's a big fan, and so I'm trying to figure out whether I ought to add it to my list of things I need to be watching. I would definitely recommend it. It's funny. All right, excellent. Thank you, Amanda. As <laughs> always, a pleasure. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. You too. There you go. There's Amanda. See, honestly, Moyer. it's a silly show, but I I tr challenge you to try and find somebody who really actively dislikes Two and a Half Men. We've got this. Uh, two and a Half Men. Rick, don't be afraid of the sitcom. It's pretty funny and a bit risque for primetime network television. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, by the way, and this is... And the crazy neighbor, I was actually given the name of the character in Heavenly Creatures, not the actress. The uh, the crazy neighbor is Melanie Linsky, uh, who also was on a... She was on like a three or four uh, episode run of The Shield, I think, and uh, I find her to be uh, quite fetching. I have this, Two and a Half Men. Two and a Half Men is rude, well-written, acted, very funny. Uh, and this is from a gay man. He says, if a gay guy likes it, Rick, it's got to be good. <laughs> How about this? Uh, two and a Half Men, 
and this, by the way, is more time than anybody anywhere ever has spent talking about Two and a Half Men. Show is cute and crude without being obvious, and the kid isn't a typical too snarky for his age type. He's, he's a, a total dork. He's a fat loser. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, color me there. All right, I'm going to make a note. Hold on a second. Two and a Half Men. And while you're at it, you know, watch uh, David Walker's whopping 19-minute movie. Thanks, by the way, for putting me in the jackpot with David Walker just now. I can't just believe now. that you haven't watched it at all. And I, I have watched that movie now about seven times, and everybody I know, I've forced them to watch it. Because it's hilarious. It is so silly and weird, and it's 19 minutes long. Here's the thing. So David Walker uh, is always a uh, the film critic, uh, pop culture, uh, the, the analyst, and filmmaker extraordinaire. So... Like six weeks ago, uh, he was he was here and he brought on a DVD of this film he'd made, Black Santa's Revenge, which I understand is only 20 minutes long. 19. It's 19. It's not thanks. It's not that I'm avoiding watching it. It's just that I have this real like out of sight, out of mind thing. And if something is not directly in front of me, I just completely I will just completely forget to do it. So he brought in uh, the movie. He's like, hey, here's a copy of my movie, Black Santa's Revenge. And I was like, hey, I'll go home and I'll watch it. Fantastic. And I really honestly meant to do it. And I know that you have actually watched it several times. Well, because it's the rule whenever I have people over at my house. Because, like, on Friday night I had a bunch of my friends. Oh, yeah, I didn't even talk about this. Uh, I had a bunch of my friends over, and we all watched Repo, the genetic opera. Of course. Which every single person loved, and they're all going to buy it because it is the greatest movie ever. You're Ever. sort of the Johnny Appleseed of Repo the Genetic Opera. Honestly, I think it is just so great. None of my friends knew anything about it, and um, we were all just, like, enraptured by it. Like, we were all just sitting there, like, speechless, listening to the songs and stuff. It was really funny. You have to see it. I know. So I have to see that, and I have to see Black Santa's Revenge, which, and again, I'm sure it's a fine film, and I don't mean that in a condescending way. I'm sure it really is. I mean, you, you you rave about it, and your you know your opinion carries a lot of weight with me. So I do. It's just if something literally, if something is not either a right in, and I don't mean in front of me figuratively. I mean like actually on the desk in front of me or in my day planner because I'm really a slave to my to my day plan to my day book. If it's not in my day planner, then it's just not going to get done. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem. Literally, this is how this is how tiny my brain is. This is how small and inefficient my frail human mind actually is. I think that I took Black Santa's Revenge home when he first brought it in, like in mid-December. And I think I literally just set like a piece of paper on top of it at one point, like an envelope or something. And I can't actually physically see it. And so, therefore, I've forgotten that it exists. Oh, come on. It has Jason Sabala in it and it has um, David with his head getting blown off. I'll try to watch it tonight. Okay. I'll watch it tonight because uh, i got to watch that. It's uh, shorter than an episode of Two and a Half Men. Well, I'll watch because here's that Jason, the, 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 the Friday the 13th retrospective that i got to watch for the Tom Savini interview is two discs. So maybe I will do disc one, then Black Santa's Revenge is sort of like a, like a sorbet, then disc two. I'll get that done tonight. You won't regret it. And by, just, just, if for no other reason, so the next time David Walker is here, the conversation doesn't get five seconds in, and then you go, oh, by the way, uh, Black Santa's Revenge, which, Rich, which uh, Rick still hasn't watched. So thanks for that. No problem. Let's break here. We'll come back. Lisa Desjardins on the other side. Then uh, David Walker, actually himself, will be in the studio with us. It's 503-733-2970. Stay there. I have to say that I don't care for the colloquial term uh, tone of this suicide note. I haven't heard the whole thing. I just thought this is the um, Eric 
This is the quiet man, for the most part. Uh, Eric Ayala, Ayala, whatever. Uh, this is the, the, the shooting guy, the guy who did the shooting downtown. So the Oregonian today, they've uh, when they're not busy writing awful news copy, uh, they're scanning in uh, the suicide note from the. And I don't think he's actually dead. I think he's in critical condition. Shot himself in the head. Uh, didn't actually kill himself. But they scanned in his suicide note that he left for his roommate. By the way, wouldn't look? I uh, I don't mean to be Tuesday morning quarterbacking this whole thing, but if you were uh, the roommate of a guy and he left a big envelope taped on the door that said "Don't open till Sunday," wouldn't you think to yourself, "That's odd. It's not Christmas time." Did he? It's really said "Don't open till no, Sunday." No, no. He put. Uh, let's see. Wait, do you have a picture? Left a legal size envelope behind for his roommate to find. On the outside, he wrote "Open on Sunday." This was on Friday, by the way. That's the sort of thing that I might, uh, I don't know, might pique my curiosity, especially if he wasn't, you know, around for several days. Anyway, so he ends it with the phrase, this is the uh, the shooter, the Eric Ayala guy, left this saying, and then he has a whole thing about, give the PlayStation to the landlord. But then he ends it with, sorry to put all this on you, buddy. Good luck. There you go. Seriously? I blame the Internet for this degradation of American writing skills. All right, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, from the Hill, CNN radio correspondent to the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello, how are you today? Hey, guys, how's it going? Oh, you know, just fighting our way uphill through a sea of <laughs> linguistic impurity. <laughs> it's tough. It's hey, tough out there. Before we do anything else, how much time do you have right now? Um, I've got two and a half minutes. Are you kidding me? No. <sighs> I'm so, well, I mean, we could maybe make it three and a half. But I've got to be live at the top of the hour. It's one of those, and they like me to dial in. Uh, all right. Well, you know what? Then I don't even know where to begin here. Um, I tried to give Rick a heads up, but it didn't didn't work out. All right. Well, that's fine. Uh, so I don't even I don't even know where to go. So I've got actual. I don't even know where my CNN prep sheet went. It was just here moments ago. Oh, here we go. Ah, we don't need a prep right. sheet. Well, okay. So I got like I got like nine different things, but you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna skip all of those things right now, and I'm gonna go to this. I saw this, and I'm going way back to the inauguration here, uh, and, and I had sort of written it down and then never brought it up again, but I got somebody sent this to me, and I wanted to ask you about this. Okay. This uh, listener, Eric, says, Rick, people saying an historic is bad enough, speaking of bad writing, yep, yep. an historic is bad enough, but during the inauguration, did you hear Nancy Pelosi say an unique occasion? And here's the thing. I actually did. During the inauguration, during that whole ceremony, Nancy Pelosi actually said something about during the, you know, we are here to witness an unique occasion. And I thought I was the only one who actually heard it. I don't but, remember Pelosi speaking during the ceremony. Uh, it wasn't, I, but I don't think it was during the, act, like it wasn't during the actual swearing in, but it was one of those adjunct, it was like a wraparound. Okay. You know, because it's like, it's like you know, it's like when you go to Lollapalooza. Everybody's just waiting for Jane's addiction, but you got to suffer through, uh, you know. <laughs> You got you got to suffer through the Rollins band or something. Okay. Um, anyway, but she said and unique, and the thing is, I heard it too, and but I didn't make any mention about it because I thought I might have been, you know, I thought I might have been hallucinating, but apparently not. He says it's like people trying to sound cultured or learned, but who ends up sounding illiterate. So I got two things, uh, and I won't have a lot of time here. But one, I was going to ask you if you heard Nancy Pelosi use the phrase and unique occasion. I did uh, not. You did not. I will also uh, ask you this though. Just to whatever extent you can address this in the 90 seconds we have left, what is this? What is the deal with the Anne historic? Please to explain. Wow, what is the deal with the Anne historic? I mean, it's just wrong. That's just incorrect. Anne historic is just 
wrong? You know, I, I think that there is actually, we're in the midst of a linguistic debate over that. But what is the debate? It starts with a, a historic starts with a consonant. And with a consonant sound, I might add. Right, which, right. But I think because some people didn't always, the H is considered very soft, and some people don't always pronounce it, that, that that's why you get the A-N. I, I think you are right. I think you, it is always a historic occasion. I don't mean to be venting my anger on you. I know that it's not no, good. No, you know what? I'm re I'm ready. I got my catcher's mitt. I'm good. I'm good to go. I, know. I think you're right. But I'm trying. The reason I'm stammering here is because I, there was an example uh, the other day that drove me crazy that was very similar to this, and I I'm, I can't believe I've forgotten what it is. I mean, I don't mean to be all strunk and white. Was yet another ever, but... third a third word of the inappropriate use of of an. Well, don't get me start. Well, see, but it, the, the, the 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 an and the h thing. Here's the and. This 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 notion that somehow the H is silent is ridiculous because you don't know anybody. I mean, unless they got some speech impediment, unless they're one of those people that says something like human being, which drives me at the freaking wall when people pronounce a Y as as a, you know, the way they pronounce an H as a Y sometimes. Right. No one says historic. It just no one does that. That's wrong. That's and you know that there's an H there because there's an H there. So yeah, I, you're right. I'm just saying at some point, if you're able to sort of, uh, I don't know, beat around the bushes there for an AP style book and see what they say about this. You I know mean, what? I'm looking up and trying to. I know I've, I've got one at home. I'll find it. All right. I mean, not that the AP, not that the AP style book is any sort of roadmap. The AP broadcast manual, which my boss Brad wrote. I mean, they don't know how to spell the word advisor, so they're not necessarily like like a you know like the gold standard or anything. But I'm just saying it might be you know it might be a good way to start addressing this issue. That's all I care. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. Well, okay, well um, for the second day in a row, I don't get to tell you my great idea no. about action figures, but we'll do it tomorrow. Okay, great. All right, Lisa Desjardins, enjoy your day. You too. All right, there you go. There's Lisa Desjardins. All right, that's fantastic. Well, you know what, Sarah? If it wasn't for short segments with Lisa, I would never appreciate our more lengthy segments with Lisa. This is true. All right. Um, so before we welcome uh, uh, David Walker uh, to the uh, show, because I don't, wa I don't wish for him to have to be part of our nitwittery if he doesn't want to, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna address this because it's it's been bugging me. What's well, I got, bothering you? Here's the thing: is I can I'll flip a coin here. I got two different things I can do. Let's see if I've actually got a coin. I don't know. I think you should do it. Uh, I can either address uh, this thing that is sitting to my immediate right on the fabled pile, or I can tell you two fantastic things that Sarah Dillon said during the last commercial break. Heads, I talk about this stuff to my right. Tails. Uh, and I'll get to both of them at some point. Uh, it's just a question of what I do right now. A, I will talk about this stuff right here. Uh, tails. Did I just say A and tails? You really did. <sighs> Usually it's one and B. <laughs> one of those days. I can already tell. You know what it is? It's because we didn't have Lisa at 1135, and so my whole routine has been thrown off because so of it. You're going to have to get it together, man. Um, all right. So heads, I will talk about this stuff to my right. Tails, I will tell you these two fantastic quotes that came from Sarah Dillon during the break. Oh, I have to do it again. Okay. Oh, yeah, it's heads. All right. Here's the thing. I don't mean to make everybody uh, feel uncomfortable. So I'm going to... No, you're, you're coming from a place of good. And by good, you mean uh, anal retentive. Yes. 
If you were listening yesterday, you heard uh, Don Taylor and I talking about what was then the front page article in the Oregonian. This is yesterday's print, the, the what do they call the sun, sunrise edition of the Oregonian yesterday. So I'm not talking about like a the the, the, the the online thing or like the or like the blog like KGW. And KGW sometimes it 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 really it seems like KGW.com. I'm not talking about like their actual newscast, but the KG like if you go to the KGW website and are reading the stories. It's like it was put together by people who learned all of their English skills from a combination of Pravda and frontal lobotomies. And it, so, it, I mean, you got like, like, like double letters where they don't belong and like ellipses thrown in for no reason and like nouns and verbs that have swapped places and then occasionally just whole runs of gibberish that it's like somebody's just decided to write in ipsum lorem. So, the. But that's just, but see, but that's KGW.com, so I've come to expect it there. Like, I've lowered my expectations for that news outlet. This wasn't like an online thing or like some, we, we got to get it to the website immediately, just pound, pound out the text and hit update or whatever. This was the actual front page of the print edition of the Oregonian yesterday. And Don Taylor and I were reading through this. And I have to say that it, not only was it, a, I hate to sound like a jerk, but I mean, really. We're either going to use the language properly or we're not. And we're either going to know how to write or we ain't. This was actually three different people who wrote this article, too. This was Steve Mays, Ann Saker, and Michelle Cole. It took three people to write this abortion of an article. So this is yesterday. Uh, and by the way, I should note, uh, for the record, this, uh, this has nothing to do with the actual subject matter being discussed or the story itself uh, or, or, you know, or anything having to do with the actual news event. This is simply in terms of linguistics. So this is yesterday's uh, Oregonian, KCMD Portland. Thank you. <laughs> Suspect called quiet, comma, video game fan. Quiet, comma. Mm. I think it, technically speaking, I think it should be a semicolon, but I'll let it go. All right. So just, I'm just going to give the beats from yesterday before we move on to today's Oregonian inanities. I've gone through this article and I've circled the things that offended me the most so I can just skip right to them. I swear to God. And I read this to my wife last night who studied journalism. And, you know, she, it's not like she's been a writer. You know, she had been a writer for a long time. But, I mean, just to sort of to make sure that it wasn't just Dawn and I in some pool of crazy over here. This is the lead sentence. This isn't buried halfway through. This isn't like they... Uh, and David Walker is a professional writer, too. So well, I, you know, I'll leave it Don't to... Don't put the, that kind of pressure on Here's the thing, thing please. Uh, David, if you want to weigh in, by I God... I've been whoring you, out Black Santa's <laughs> Revenge for like 20 minutes. <laughs> You'd be nice. You weigh in if you want to. I wasn't going to sort of bring you on and then make you feel compelled to weigh in because I don't want you to feel like you have to be railing on your fellow journalists or whatever here in Portland. So it's up to you. It's I up. have no allegiances except to you guys. That's it. Thank you. You're the man. only two people I defend. That's the right answer. All right. <laughs> you're going to go far. So I'm just going to... This is like a uh, like a sidebar or a pull quote or that was some 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 jazz they put underneath the guy's picture. This is the lead sentence in the front page above the fold article in yesterday's print edition of the Oregonian. Eric Ayala was a quiet man with an interest in computers and video games and cliched sentences. Uh, and then they uh, they go on. Uh, you know, his roommate said uh, Sunday his mysterious appearance, an alleged uh, shooting spree uh, outside a uh, downtown Portland club Saturday night show. What does that even mean, by the way? When it says this is the night. Okay, Eric Sa uh, Salvador Ayala was a quiet man with an interest in computers and video games, not guns or nightclubs. His friend and roommate said Sunday. Next paragraph. Ayala's mysterious appearance 
What, was he wearing a cloak of some kind? A staff? What does that mean, his mysterious appearance? Was he floating above the ground with a wizard hat on? A Yale's mysterious appearance. Wait, say that sentence again. He was 15 feet tall and had tentacles. That doesn't mean anything. Okay, wait, read that sentence again. Okay, this is this is uh, this Verbatim. is a, a discrete paragraph. This is its own self-contained paragraph from the Oregonian, the benchmark of Northwest journalism. Ayala's mysterious appearance and alleged shooting spree outside a downtown Portland club Saturday night shocked and mystified his friends. Said Mike Delisle, Ayala's roommate. Now here's the thing. First of all, you're using mysterious and mystified like within about half a second of each other. I understand what they're trying to say, which is that his appearance outside the club was mysterious because it doesn't seem like he was a club-going guy. But when you say his mysterious appearance shocked and mystified his friends, it makes it sound like suddenly he'd grown a fifth, uh, uh, you know, uh, he'd it grown a fifth like limb or something. Or like he's got some sort of telepathic abilities. Yeah. So, Because I, I can mystify people. It's, I really can. Is, I did it just now. I it, mystified you by saying that. It does sound like he sort of apparated uh, directly in front of the establishment. Anyway, we'll move on. Uh, so we've already established in the first sentence he's a quiet man. Let's skip right down to this sentence, which comes, I don't know, this is like three sentences later. Quote, It was a big surprise. I didn't see it coming, said Delisle, who attended Kaiser's McNary High School at Yale. Quote, He was a quiet person. He kept to himself. So that is now two statements of his quiet nature within, I think, four sentences. But, if he, but he also had a roommate. I don't know, like a quiet person kept to himself, but it seems like him and his roommate were pretty tight. By the way, this following uh, the uh, the revelation that he allegedly shot seven people we have here, Ayala was not a violent person. Hmm. Which I suppose is a matter for the courts to determine at this point. Uh, so we have, he was a quiet person, he kept to himself. Let's skip ahead three sentences. He kept to himself. <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing a theme here. He was also a bit of a practical joker. I guess. Uh, let's see. Uh, how about this? One of the things that brought him joy was playing video games, such as Resistance, Fall of Man, or Left for Dead, where the object is to slay fighting zombies. Here's my only quarrel with this. It's not really the way it's written as such, except to point this out. The titles of video games, like the titles of albums or movies, are to be italicized, not put in quotations. Quotations are reserved for, you know, quotations, and also for song titles. Video game titles are to be italicized. Uh, Michelle Cole, Ann Saker, and Steve Mays. Uh, all right, so we've established once that he was a quiet man. We've established again that he was a quiet person. We've also established that, again, he kept to himself, and then later that he kept to himself... Uh, two paragraphs later, hey, you know what? He was really quiet. Did, so, did he keep to himself? Also, Sarah, he did so in a quiet manner. Okay. Yes, we have here again three sentences later. Once again, quote, he was really quiet, uh, says uh, blah, 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 a neighbor. Uh, skipping ahead, three more sentences. Hey, guess what? Neighbors say the Ayalas were a nice family. They were quiet. No complaints. Are you going to talk about the other thing that you were talking about? That's just yesterday, by the way. You know, I have a theory about that. Ah. Whenever somebody goes crazy, turns out to be a serial killer or a mass murderer or just a violent, on a violent rampage, people always say the same thing. He was a quiet person, or she was a quiet person, as the case may be. I don't want to be sexist. Kept to himself, herself. Um, 
maybe that's a sign that there's something wrong with that person. Maybe that's a sign that they're socially inept, that they have sociopathic tendencies, or perhaps they're a misanthrope. I mean, I don't like people. I have violent tendencies, but I'm certainly not quiet. So if I ever snap one day, and they're interviewing you, at the, whether it's the Oregon right. or the Associated Press, you guys will never be able to say, yeah, David Walker was a quiet guy. He kept to himself. He talked about killing constantly. Exactly. He, exactly. he had a long list of people whose skin he was going to wear after his cross-country rampage. That's right. I do. All right. Just real quick, and then I swear to God I'll move on. Because otherwise it's just going to be me. Because, you know, here's the thing. If I don't move on, then I'm going to start talking about serial commas, and then it's just going to end in blood. So... I'm going to move forward to this. I will uh, skip over this business. Can I tell you just about, I just got an email from somebody. Can I read this? Yes. Why I love your show. I love the Rick Emerson show. Why? Because poor grammar from a murderous shooter elicits anger. Not his killing. No, his poor grammar hey. and syntax skills. Hey, friend, I want to note for, uh, I would, uh, note for the record that the alleged murderer, his grammar seems to be much better than that of the writers of the Oregonian. And that's just, a, that's what we call a scientific fact. He's using commas correctly. All right. So... <laughs> Even if he does, even if he does uh, have a, an overly conversational tone here, like when he ends it with, sorry to put all this on you, buddy, good luck. Good luck doesn't really seem to cover it, but, you know, anywho. I'm just, this was is the, handwritten? this is the last thing. No, it was tight, Sarah. He was an efficient man. Okay. Also quiet, plus kept to himself and played video games in quotations. <gasps> Final thing I'm going to say, and then we're going to move on uh, to, to other matters. I want to say for the record. I am only making the following observation about the actual language used and the general tone in which this next sentence is given. That's all I'm commenting upon here. Not talking about anything else, but the actual Not choice. Not of anything. No, no, no. In no way am I. The, the only thing that I'm actually commenting upon is the actual choice of words that they have used in this is today's Oregonian, Sunrise Edition, Tuesday, January 27th. So if you pick up today's Oregonian, pick it up, look at it, turn it over, read the below-the-fold section, which is sort of bottom section above the index there. Uh, they've done a profile of, uh, of the, two, uh, uh, the two fatality of the two victims. Uh, so we've got this here. This is for Martha de uh, Naboa, I believe is how you pronounce this. Martha de Naboa. This is by uh, Don Colburn at the Oregonian. Speaking of perhaps inappropriately colloquial uh, ways of writing, I'm just going to read this as it's written. Her full name was Martha Paz de Naboa, but everyone knew her as Tika, the proud Peruvian exchange student who loved to dance and had never frolicked in the snow. Frolicked seems like... Uh, perhaps Can you read that again, I, please? Her name, Sarah, was Martha Paz de Naboa, but everyone knew her as Tika, the proud Peruvian exchange student who loved to dance and had never frolicked in the snow. That's all I'm going to say. In a repat, I, I don't know if you need to say any more than that. Stand really. without comment. Like Except that was the one thing she wanted to accomplish. Frolicking. Uh, by the way, how does one frolic in the snow? I just want to say that, when, later. that okay. whenever it is that I pass away, I hope that a writer from a newspaper describes me by using one of the seven deadly sins. Well, that's, can, can that's I, always the way to uh, immortalize. I'd just like to weigh in on this for a brief moment. Is that um, you? You hit the nail on the head when you said a writer from a newspaper as opposed to a journalist. And it, it, it appears that the people who, or the person who written that, 
wants more than anything to be a writer than an actual journalist. A journalist, by definition, is a person who just conveys the news without adding any We'll say spice to the meal. Yes, that's. Yes. Uh, I think that's the problem. There's play-by-play, and then there's color commentary. That's all I'm saying. All right, and I'll move on from the a, a historic and historic thing because it's just gonna it's just gonna crank me up beyond all repair. Because we have a point. billion awesome news stories to get to today. Uh, hey, Richie, can you uh, what, what's that thing called? Screening? Can you uh, can you do some of that on these uh, calls here? So. Uh, Thank you. If you would do that, I'd be, I'd be much appreciative. All right, it's five zero three seven three three. See, now it's going to be my karma that I. Uh, it's going to be my karma for the rest of the day. I'm probably going to be. Uh, I'm going to be saying that me and her go to the mall. Her and me, her and I thing. I'm going to be making that mistake probably uh, throughout the next uh, three hours because that's my Achilles heel right there. All right, it's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, David Walker at the news desk. Oh, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland. This is the news. Well, if we didn't need any more proof that Americans are stupid and lazy, Senate has uh, just confirmed that by giving a four-month extension to the digital TV changeover. Now, I like to think that I'm uh, more stupid than I am lazy. Really, I mean, I have both of those uh, traits in my personality, but I think it's primarily the laziness. I I think most people have it uh, either, yeah, they they have it to one degree or another. Either they're more stupid than they are lazy or they're more lazy than they are stupid. But uh, today... Uh, Congress uh, approved a delay. As we all know that we are supposed to make the digital changeover February 17th. Anyone who has paid attention to either the radio or television over the last, we'll say, what, 18 months has been inundated with public service ads telling us that changeover is happening. Make sure you're ready for the changeover. The changeover is happening. They've offered coupons. They've offered instructional manuals, everything you could possibly need. But apparently they have not gotten a message. Uh, Today... Uh, Chairman Jay Rockefeller, the uh, Democrat from West Virginia, said, Delaying the upcoming DTV switch is the right thing to do. Uh, I firmly believe that our nation is not ready to make this transition at this time. So we're not making it for a few months? No, we're not making, we're, we're not making it till June 17th, I believe, is yes! the, the actual date. Okay, but More family guy and two and a half men. But I mean, but it doesn't even... But, okay, first of all... I think we've, we've probably talked about this before. I know we've talked about this before, but you know what it is? It is today's news. So, but this only affects people. Like if you, you if you we're raising this issue for like the nine millionth time, but if you have cable or satellite, this doesn't affect you at all, right? No, no. Like your life goes on uh, fundamentally unchanged. It, the only way it's going to affect you is if you have a TV that is plugged into the wall, and that is it. Sarah Dillon. That's me. I that's all right. But 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 if that's the case, don't you just uh. You ride away to some some place and they give you a thing and there's a box you hook up and then you're done. Yeah, pretty much. Well, there pretty you go. Much. So you just uh, go to the store. Yeah, how much one of those cost? You know, I, I don't know how much one of them cost. I think it's like go- eighty bucks. A yeah, piece but the government money. is offering forty dollar coupons. Well, that's still like forty bucks. Yeah, but you know, but you're not paying for Sarah, cable. You've got charm, and someone would buy it for you. I know that all you got to do is bat your eyelashes and go. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't watch. I won't be able to watch TV. I don't understand how things work. I'm a girl, and then some guy will go. Like, let's be honest. I'm like, no, that's like that's what I did at the DMV. You know what? You can do that right now. The guys, all they have to do, know, they don't have to be able to see you batting your eyelashes. We could just say right now, look, right now, hey, you know what? Sarah's batting her eyelashes right now, and she's blushing because she's a woman who doesn't understand things that plug into walls. She doesn't know what to do. You should help her out. It's uh, Sarah at 970.am. There you go. Problem solved. That's with an H, by the way. S-A-R-H. I just solved your problem. Some guy will email, and he will offer to take care of everything for you. So. There you go. See? So it's not that complicated. Now you don't have to wait till June. You can, you can be one of those Americans who's ready. 
And by the Thank way, you, my beautiful but, men in my life. And, and if I can, if I could just make, make one other observation about this, you were talking about Americans being lazy and stupid. Uh, Americans also, my friend Todd is this thing that he said forever, which I, I think was then proven to not be true. But he used to say that as long as gas remained under four dollars a gallon, there would never be a revolution in America. Which is a whole sort of like, you know, as long as I, that's a variation of my thing of as long as I have my remote control, my Cheetos, I'm fine. Doesn't matter. You know, yeah. the government can do whatever they want. Um, but I think if suddenly all, everybody who was just sort of getting their television over the air, if they just woke up one day and it didn't work, they'd find a way to fix it. That's the thing. Like, I don't, like, the extension doesn't make any sense to me. Just, you, you just do what you're going to do because Americans, like, they're not going to be bothered to vote. They're not going to be bothered to learn CPR. They're not going to be bothered to, like, you know, find an escape plan so they can save their family when the house catches on fire. But if you turn off their television, they'll get their fat snackwell's ass off the couch, and they'll go figure out how to get the TV back. And the most important thing, too, is that the people who, who weren't going to be ready by February, vast majority of them will not be ready by June as well. That's just how people are. Seriously. You can... So you just need to go, hey, look, I'm sorry. This is it. It's, it's, it's the same with paying your bills. They don't give you an extension. You're a day late. They charge you a fee. That's it. I mean, and you give people an extension. You know what it is? It's just another extension during which they can sit on their ass and do nothing. Exactly. And kind of look, you know, uh, look at the article and go, i got to get that taken care of one of these days. And then it's just then it's, it's, it's rifling through the couch cushions for change so they can go buy more beef jerky. Yeah. I mean, that's it. So. It's the same as when people get surprised when, they, when their driver's license expires. It's not like they don't get a notice well beforehand. And then suddenly it expires and they freak out. Like they just don't have enough time to, to renew it. I mean, come on. There's, um, there's, uh, uh, don't get me started. No, no, no. Go ahead. You know what? Did you listen to me just talking about like an historic for like 20 minutes now? I mean, this is the, this is the place where disproportionate anger is not only accepted, it is in fact encouraged. It's one of our food groups. I'll be, I'm one of those people. I'll be 100% honest. I'm that sort of person who gets his bill, opens it, and goes, oh, it's not due for another three weeks. I'll wait to pay it. And then three weeks later, I go, oh my God, and I have to pay online, which right. I'm completely paranoid about doing. I still actually write checks. But, you know, I kick myself in the butt every day for being that way. And and I think that that's what makes me better than a lot of other people because I actually accept responsibility. I'm not the one who goes, God, they only gave me three months to renew my driver's license. They only gave me a year and a half to convert to digital. I mean, and and then there's the people who actually think they've got to buy a new TV. Right. I've got to get a new TV. It's the same same thing happened when DVD players came out and people were convinced that they couldn't play DVDs with their old television, it, it doesn't hook up. And if you went to someplace like Circuit City, which, thank God, they're going out of business because of this shady practice, the people at Circuit City would say, well, you need to get a new TV for this DVD player to work. That's like saying, yeah, you got to get some new lungs to breathe this fresh mountain air. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't work that way. God. Anyway. We should be moving on. Let's move south of the border to California, where I've got two incredibly interesting stories. The first comes from San Diego. Man attacks his lawyer in court with feces. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. Uh, a mistrial was declared Monday when a home invasion robbery su suspect smeared human feces on his attorney's face, then threw more at the jury. Uh, wow, how do you, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. Wasui McGowan, 37, was upset because San Diego Superior Court Judge Jeffrey Frazier refused to remove Deputy Alternate Public Defender Jeffrey Martin from the case, Prosecutor Christopher Lawson said. Anyway, I guess the point is that McGowan, 37, smeared feces. But I mean, his, on his lawyer. But did this, but I mean, did it happen in court? Yes, it happened in court. Did he smuggle it in? Uh, maybe I missed this. Like in a bag in his pocket? Don't they search you for stuff? This <laughs> is in California, Here right? Here we go. Are you ready? Because I'm prepared to answer this question. All right, now hold on. Let's just, before we move forward, 
This is this is by the I'm, way I'm gonna, a news I'm, story. I'm gonna do like you. You ready? I, I love that a, sound effect. That's that's great. By way of a preface, though, I should just say that this is a news story uh, here in the news hour on uh, the Rick Emerson show on KCMD Portland, which is in fact a news talk radio station operating in the public interest, convenience, and necessity, uh, and serving uh, the community. All right. So, are you ready? I, I honestly don't know. I'm just my hand will be nearer to the dump button <laughs> than it might have been earlier. The dump button. No pun intended. At the mid-morning break, <laughs> at the mid-morning break, McGowan produced a plastic baggie filled with fecal matter and spread it on Martin's fa- hair and face, then flung the excrement toward the jury box, hitting the briefcase of juror number nine, but missing the juror himself. The juror didn't see it coming, Lawson said. Now, I want to say this, because you've got a look on your face. The only time you ever should see that coming is when you're at the zoo at the monkey house, and his monkeys fling poo. But that's it. People who who have mistrials shouldn't fling poo. I mean, or just people in general. Oh, so yes, David Walker's <laughs> guide to, guide to life. Yeah, only if you're having a mistrial. And knowing is half the battle. Uh, the but I, but I'm still unclear about the. I, did he just have a bag with him? And here's the thing: he there's only two ways that this could have happened. One, he came into court with the feces in a bag in his pocket. Yeah. In which case. You know, maybe the pat down, uh, you know, like if a guy's maybe uh, accused of a crime of some kind, maybe you give him an all-over search, you know, just to be on the safe side. Uh, so he either brought it with him or, or he had a plastic bag and then he somehow went into the bathroom break, filled the bag, came back in, in which case it indicates that you could be completely doing the Michael Corleone thing of like the gun behind the tank in the bathroom because they're not bothering to check you when you come back from urinating. Yes. So, well, I'm I'm going to guess... Okay, I'm going to put myself into this position. Just not that I would ever do this remotely. Of the thrower, of not the thrower. Of the okay. thrower, exactly. Right. I don't ever want to imagine what it would be like. Let's to be get careful as we walk through these next few moments. Long at me. But I would be concerned about the, the pat down and the search and all that sort of stuff. So I would be the sort of person who would sneak a plastic bag in, wait for a break, go to the bathroom, poop in the bag, then then do it that way. That seems to be... A little. That seems to be, in my mind, a, a little bit more well thought out, but also just a tad bit nuttier. Um, Sarah, nope. look at me like, nope. wow, I thought I knew this no, guy, but no. I don't know. It doesn't say know. where, what, you know, if he came in with the poop or not, but... Um, well, he had to have, I mean, because it's... We're moving on. Bag, right? I'm officially, I'm calling it, I'm throwing a flag now. We're moving on. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm pulling the pin on this. All right. Well, also in Southern California, Bellflower... A woman gave birth to octuplets. Oh, that's eight children came out of there. And it's, but it's in California. <laughs> yes, this is in California. Because usually, now this is a thing. Now we almost always. This is just my observation as a bloviator. Uh, in my experience doing this program and uh, covering stories from you know all all parts of the world and just covering all the various threads in the human tapestry. These these sorts of stories, wherever there's some sort of bizarre baby happening, they're almost always in India. That's really what I was going to say. Is it any time, look, how do I put this? If there's extra babies or if the baby has extra parts, it's almost always an injury. Any any baby story that involves more of something than you thought, even if it's more of the baby than themselves... It almost always takes place, uh, you know, there for some reason. Or maybe it's just like, the, maybe it's just the Indian news services are more predisposed to be covering those things. But not so much, apparently, in California as well. Exactly. Uh, uh, the mother gave birth to six boys and two girls weighing between one pound, eight ounces, three pounds, four ounces. 
the let's see. Yeah, this is pretty amazing. The doctor says the babies were born nine weeks premature, but are in stable condition. Two newborns were placed on ventilators, and a third needs oxygen. This is what I found most interesting. This is what her doctor said, because they won't release the name of the woman. She was a very strong woman, so she probably will be able to handle all eight babies. Probably. <laughs> now, <laughs> I wonder what he means by strong. Yeah, I was going to say, does this mean she can bench press 250? Because that's pretty strong, but I'm sorry. Raising eight kids, I, I don't even, I have a plant. <laughs> And I can't even handle that. By the way, it's, it's always a good idea when, you're, uh, when your doctor actually says in print that you'll probably, probably be able to handle the kids. On the other well, hand... How big do you have to be to have eight babies? And, oh. Well, I think they were very... I think they were... They were very small. Proportionally small. They were, they were small. Like, and they were born premature. Yeah. So that means they were even smaller than they would have been normally. And was she another... Was she well, one of these women that was like old? One, around one to three pounds, and usually a normal baby's like seven or eight pounds. So it would be like... And was she a woman of those? Uh, one of these women who was like all jacked up on fertility drugs? Because that's almost always. You know, it, it, it doesn't say that, but I, that was sort of my my first thought too. Was that she was, um, or maybe she just has some sort of superhuman powers, or she's part dog or something? Because that's normal. Dogs. She's part dog. <laughs> dog. Yeah. That's David Walker's observation. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. How you doing? Oh, you know. Well, it just you know, fell on that cable thing. I mean, I know one guy's peeing ain't gonna change nothing, but. You know, it was a time when it was always cool. I mean, you could get that stuff for free, and now they're going to make you pay for it, you know. And it's it's not so much, you know, most people will just go ahead and go with it. But, you know, grandparents, people like that, I mean, some of them probably got cable now. But, you know, there's quite a few of them that still go in there, and they, they're happy with five channels. And, you know, they're not sitting on the couch all day watching TV. They're actually active doing stuff, so they don't need, you know, 35 channels. And All right, so here's, this is actually a good question. So is the government, is there, uh, see, and I ask this, this is one of those questions that I, I hesitate to ask because on the one hand, I do really want to know the answer. This is like the thing earlier where I was like, don't, don't call me and tell me. I do want to know the answer, but I'm afraid the answer might be unbelievably boring. That said, I'm just going to plunge on ahead. Is the government saving money somehow by getting rid of this analog signal business? Like, are, are broadcasters somehow, like, is the, in other words, is there like a financial upside not to having the digital broadcast? Is there a financial upside to ceasing the over-the-air analog broadcast? Because that would be my question. Because if not, then you've got to ask, well, why, why are they ceasing the analog broadcast? Uh, that's a good answer. point. I to think about But, you know, then it makes you wonder, well, okay, two or three, four years from now, are we going to have to get converters for all our damn car radios and radios at home? I mean, are they going to do no? Why, why would you do that? Because he didn't, he didn't realize. Not and I had him. a perfectly good joke at the end there. Well, I, uh, let me let me just chime in with this. My my good friend Paul West has a, has an old saying that I think is apropos to this situation. If it doesn't make sense, it must make dollars. Well, that's that's actually pretty great. Is that a, like a, is that an original? You know, I haven't, knowing Paul, it's probably not. It's probably something his grandfather said. Because that's something your grandfather said. You, you know, Rick, if it doesn't make sense, it must make dollars. And, uh, but, but that's, I, I'm thoroughly convinced whenever something like this happens, this, this digital changeover, there is a major cha-ching going on. Well, no, obviously somebody, look, the appropriate palms are being crossed with the appropriate amounts of silver. There's no getting around that. Uh, but I, so, but that's, the, again, the thing where I can understand, like I get, that maybe they're gonna maybe they're gonna make money with the digital broadcast because then you can 
This is, by the way, the point in the program where I just completely, I start to say things that I think will sound intelligent, but that I, I think I'm just making up. Because maybe they can encode more data in the signal and have supplementary or ancillary program. Like, I don't, I don't you know, what I mean, like maybe with digital broadcast, they can, like, be beaming more crap to your house or whatever. And then they can find a way to, you know, they can have, like, you know, like, like the, 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 there's HD radio now. So it's like you can listen to Kink FM or you can listen to Kink Kink 15, which is just like banjo twanging or like the kink 59 which is just the sound of james taylor breathing in and out and rustling his tweed jacket or whatever so maybe you can do that with digital tv but i don't know if they're actually like if by cutting that analog signal they're somehow saving money because i could i could see the broadcasters kind of pushing for that but you're right it does seem like one of those deals where the government ought to be you're like, if there's no real financial incentive for them to do it, if they're just doing it basically to screw people out of their television, they ought to be covering you on that. Uh, somebody is claiming here, let's see, this is about the uh, about the, the, why they've pushed back the delay. Someone is actually claiming, I swear to God, that the government is out of coupons. That they are actually, the government has run out of vouchers because too many people are asking for them. Right. Well, let's get a couple of these, then we'll take a break. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you. Good deal. Say hello um, to Dave Walker, sir. I will. Hello, David Walker. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Show sounds good, you guys. Thanks. Hey, um, a couple of things. One, somebody needs to tell that lady that had eight babies that her uterus is not a clown car. Well, we're going to move on. We're going to break. Seriously, we're taking a break. Taking a break. It's one of those days. You know what it is? I think this might be the snow. I think the snow has made it possible for a large amount of crazy people who might otherwise uh, have gotten to the pharmacy to take their medications or might, in, in fact, be working in the cubicle next to you, making muttering noises about the time of purification. I think they're all home today, and they're able to reach their phones. We'll take more of their calls after this. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. the Rick Emerson radio program. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. By the way, I'm just going to read this email because it is sort of the bottom uh, the bottom line. It says, Rick, I sent you a five-page letter weeks ago about a fight I had with someone about the an versus a in terms of historic. I've encountered people who say that, quote, it's whatever you want it to be, end quote, but it's not. It is simply flat out that you use an before a word beginning with a vowel sound and a before words uh, with a beginning consonant sound, period. My smoking hot intelligent friend and I got into an hour-long argument about this and have not talked since. How retarded am I? Well, that's between, uh, that's between uh, you and your therapist. All right, it's uh, 503-733-2970. David Walker uh, joining us today. Uh, by the way, somebody's asking, what does frolicking have to do with anything else in your life? 
and then they've, by the way, then they've sort of illustrated this point by writing part of my, what is presumably my obituary. Rick Emerson, radio talk show host, husband, had never gone spelunking. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, David Walker. Oh, we've got a little breaking Sam Adams news. Have you seen this? Uh, no, I have not. Somebody just that. sent this to me. Uh, let's see. So apparently, I'm just uh, reading this. Somebody just uh, sent me the text to the story. Uh, and they're, not, uh, they're not sourcing this, but I guess uh, um, maybe maybe it's the Oregonian. Um, let's see. Uh, Wade Nkrumah. How do you pronounce this? N-K. Well, I'm lost at that point. When, it, when the first two letters of a, of a name are N-K, there's just no pronouncing the rest of it. Uh, maybe Wade Nkrumah. The spokesman for Mayor Sam Adams, wait for it, resigned his post Monday night, uh, the same day that Adams returned to work after admitting he lied about a 2005 relationship. Nguma, 48, declined to comment on the reasons but said his departure was voluntary. He said he spoke with the mayor and submitted a short resignation letter. Adams, he said, was disappointed. Nguma, a former reporter for the Oregonian, said he has no new job lined up. He's accept, uh, he accepted the post in November with Adams set to take over as mayor in January. Nguma said he does not believe anybody else on Adams' staff has resigned in the wake of Adams' admission that he lied about the 2005 relationship with consenting adult Bo Breedlove. Uh, blah, 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 blah. All right. Here's uh, David Walker. All right. Well, we're going to move on to uh, Religious Nutcase Watch. Fantastic. Here's your Religious Nutcase Watch. For Tuesday on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Montreal, a self-described pastor who hoped his quote-unquote marriage to a 10-year-old girl he took to bed would convince a judge to acquit him on a sexual assault charge was sentenced to five years in prison today. Okay. Now, first of all, we need to know that this actually happened nine years ago. He, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, David Cormier, I guess, that's how you pronounce it, who was convicted last October following a lengthy trial, has a maximum of 49 months left behind bars because of time already served. He's already served nine years. He has 49 months. Which oh, and so, is, the, so the sentence would have been like 15, basically, but he's already been behind bars for 10 years. 15 years, yes. Right. Uh, I would say that there's no remorse, Crown Prosecutor and Andre Charette said outside the courtroom. He just tried to find justifications. Uh, this is just really... Uh, Cormier, I don't know how you pronounce his name. He's Canadian. How do you? It's it's. Probably, I was going to ask where this took place. It, it happened in in, in Canada. It happened yeah. in Canada. Yeah. In Canada. Well, they're yeah. godless people. Yeah. Fifty-seven year old head of the now defunct Church of Downtown Montreal. <laughs> I'm sorry. I I know it's an awful story filled with terrible things, but the Church of Downtown Montreal. Yes. That's what you need to get a PR guy for. A little get a little polish to that. Well, he's fifty-seven, and this happened nine years ago, so he was fifty-two. Um, when this happened, and this is just very, very disturbing to me. I don't know, and and what what's not in here is anything. How does he wind up, you know, quote unquote, marrying a ten year old girl? I well, mean, because clearly, I mean, this would just be my assessment of this. I'm, I am, my my assumption would be, and I could be way off. My, in stories like this, because you know, because here's the thing, I, I, I'll just call it what it is. In, in some, the um, 
in the FLDS Church, which is the fundamentalist church, which is not the not the actual Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but the the fundamentalist church, which is you know like Warren Jeffs and those guys, like all oh, those guys got busted that compound in Texas. Um, they're all members of the of this really like even crazier offshoot of the Mormon Church. And the deal is almost always that the mom is there, too, and that the mom will have kids. I mean, it's so horrifying, but the, the mom will have kids, and then as soon as the kids are, quote, old enough in the eyes of Jehovah, which is like, you know, like 11, 12, 13, then the dad marries them, and, inev- you know, inevitably those girls are knocked up within a couple of years, and then in 12 years, those girls... If you ever re- if you read this book, the book Under the Banner of Heaven by Jonathan Krakauer, which is an astoundingly good read, and probably the best... Probably the single best thing I've ever read about fundamentalist religion in America and the difference between the faithful and the, the violently crazy. And it uses the uh, the creation, the evolution, and the current state of the Mormon church as a sort of microcosm for how religions begin and how they splinter into how they eventually become mainstream. But the more mainstream they become, the more they, the more they splinter into these increasingly violent and unstable factions, which is what happened with the Mormon church. But if you look at a family tree, I mean, it's just this, it's insane. The family tree just looks like this tangled ball of yarn. I mean, because everybody is related to everybody else. Because as soon as the the girls are old enough, they're popping out more kids, uh, you know, for all of these nutcase guys, uh, you know, to, to get with when they're like 13. Uh, it's just it's, it's absolutely disturbing. So yeah, he was the uh, the the a pastor for the Church of Downtown Montreal. This is what's interesting. He said he also ran for mayor of Montreal. He has maintained that he is not a pedophile and that he did nothing wrong, as the pair were married during a ceremony at his obscure evangelical church in 1999. In the eyes of the Lord. In the eyes of the Lord. And by right. the way, that is messed up. And just in the Church of Downtown Montreal, I, I know I seem to be latching out of the name here, but I got two more things to say about that. First of all, that's just one degree away from calling your like the church of like right over there. Like it just lacks, and there's no panache there. There's uh, it's like the church of my place. If, yeah. Um, and also, it seems like if you're calling uh, your your house of worship the Church of Downtown Montreal, really it shows that you don't have any vision uh, for expansion. There's really you don't have any future plans for that church. I mean, really, where can you take that? Well, what I would do is I would have the Church of Downtown Montreal, then I would have the Church of Suburban Montreal, then the Church of the Montreal Metro area, and then Greater Montreal, point, Greater Montreal, and then at some point you consolidate it into a mega church. You'd call it the Mega Church of Montreal. There you go. That's what I would do. It's like having you know, like only lamps. Or something, <laughs> and and you know here's the thing, and this is actually uh, a store that I this is a store that I actually uh, do patronize quite frequently. But their name, their name is actually a little bit confusing to me, and I think they are one of our fine sponsors. So I will say, in all in all honesty, I actually do I do spend uh, I do spend a chunk of money there. My headphones are actually from from this place, but it's for the longest time it was called Sony Only. Yeah, and now I do believe that the actual name of the business is Sony Only and more, mm. and it seems like it's either Sony Only. Or it's more. I don't think, I mean, speaking of linguistics, I don't think, logically speaking, it can be both of those things. It's either only or it's more. Those are mutually exclusive. But, you know, that being said, my headphones It's like being new and improved, I guess. I don't know. Being very unique. Uh, oh, we're both wearing Sony headphones. Yes, we are, Sarah. Is that the end of our... Uh, can you see? Those are whatever Richie found lying around. <laughs> those those like I can feel something crawling inside my ears as I have them on. That's yeah. genius. That's uh, that's an amusement. That's what you're hearing. I think there's, should we do both of them today? There's oh, one do we have more. two? Oh, excellent. Well, let's do, let's do the other one. Then. Oh, the other... The other Here is your other, here's your uh, religious nutcase watch part two. Okay. Trial for parents who choose faith over medicine. This <sighs> happened in Wisconsin. 
Tara Newman, 11, had grown so weak that she could oh, not God. walk or speak. Her parents, who believe that God alone has the ability to heal sick, prayed for her recovery, but did not take her to a doctor. Hold on, I'm opening the book. Okay. All right. All right. What I think the, they might already be in the book. Uh, no, well, let's see here. Uh, faith, no, no, no. Oregon faith-killing parents, followers of Christ Church, Jeffrey Dean and Marcy Ray Beagley. No, no, the last faith-killing parents that we put in the book were, uh, they were from Malala, actually. Okay. All right. Uh, what are the names of the parents, David Walker? They're the, going into the book. The names of the parents here are, let's see, um, well, they are the, her name was Kara Newman, and I'm having trouble finding... Kara, K-A-R-A? Yes, K-A-R-A. We'll put Kara Newman... And, and her parents are Dale and Leilani Newman. Oh, okay, Dale and... Le okay, how do you spell Leilani? Leilani is L-E-I-L-A-N-I. Dale and Lilani Newman. Uh, where did this take place? Wisconsin? Wisconsin. Wisconsin. And uh, she, young Kara, passed away sadly last March. Faith-killing parents. And this is more of the uh, Jesus will heal our child, not so much like medicine or doctors. Exactly. And now her parents are standing trial. If they're convicted, they each face up to 25 years in prison. All right. Well, there you go. Um, you know, what, again, what do we say to something like that? I, I, it, but this leads into my next news story, if we have a moment, because this is we go from religious nutcase watch to just plain bad parenting watch. Well, let me let's let's do this. Let me finish. Let me close the book here. Then we'll close out the religious nutcase watch. And then we'll move on. So um, there you go. So the parents of Kara Newman, Dale and Leilani Newman of Wisconsin, uh, who allowed their child to die because they believed that any moment Jesus was going to swoop in and heal her. By the way, spoiler alert: that didn't happen. Uh, they've been put in the book. They will be dealt with in the appropriate fashion at the appropriate time. All right, there you go. All right, here's David Walker, ladies and gentlemen. All right, well, this comes to us from uh, somewhere outside of Baltimore in Harford County. You know, nothing good ever comes from the dateline of Baltimore. No, no. You guys you guys need, um, you have all these watches. Do you have what you call stupid parent watch? I don't, do we? I don't think we do. We have a teacher watch, we have a, and we have, we have. We have so many stupid parent stories, though. I, I think it would really be. That, that might be it. It might, it might be overly redundant. Well, here's one for, we'll call this stupid parent watch, because this one, this one just steams my clams, boy, <laughs> let me tell you. Family says girl left at restaurant by mistake. Harford County authorities continue to investigate Monday after a four-year-old girl was found alone Sunday evening at a restaurant. Police said her mother and aunt realized she was missing while watching a Monday morning newscast. Wait, she was left there when? She was left there Sunday evening. And then a Monday morning, so and this is like they're watching and they go, that girl looks familiar. Yes. Wait a minute. Exactly it, something like that. Didn't we used to have a girl that looked like that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Deshauna Tyson was found shortly before 7 p.m. Sunday at... A Chuck E. Cheese restaurant. It's always a Chuck E. Cheese restaurant. Always. Uh, that's, always. That's right. Well, uh, Bet says money that said Monday that the relatives of the girl visited the sheriff's office at about 8.40 a.m. Monday. So, this is over 12 hours later. Now, here's my question to you. Here's my question to everybody. Once in a while, I'll walk out of the house without my cell phone. <laughs> I did that this morning. It's very frustrating. And sometimes when I'm at a restaurant or a bar, and I'm and this has been a long time since I've done this, where I'm 
treating people. Mm-hmm. I will sometimes either leave my credit card because I'm running up a tab, but more likely I'm just likely to forget to pay and walk out without right. paying, and then half hour later I go, Doh! and I have to go back and pay. I've left my keys places. I've left umbrellas places. How do you leave a four-year-old child? Here's my thing about that. I have, I'm glad you asked. I have a theory. Okay. Now, if we operate I'm, I'm, under the assumption here, and by the way, we did, what we should almost have is a Chuck E. Cheese watch at this point, because we just had, I don't think we ever even read it. I, I pulled a story about uh, 10 days ago, and I don't even think we got to it. Sarah was talking about the news this morning. She said, I don't know how Tim kept from snapping every single day, because the news is, I mean, it's overwhelming. It is like trying to drink from a fire hose. Um, so it's one of those stories that we just never got to because it was buried in the pile, but it was a story about, it was exactly the kind of story that appeals to me because it was a guy who'd actually done just sort of an analysis piece about why there seems to be so much violence at Chuck E. Cheese restaurants. And it's always violence between parents, by the way. It's never kids doing it. It's always like one parent punching each other, you know, punching another one in the face. So Chuck E. Cheese restaurants in that regard are like the new softball league, uh, where it's like dad goes there just so he can knock, knock some other guy's teeth out. Um, but so we have a lot of these stories. My speculation about how the kid could be missing for 12 hours, if you operate from the point, if you, if you just sort of take it as read that the parents are telling the truth, that they, quote, forgot the kid, end quote, and it wasn't any sort of deliberate act, my deal is that when you have kids, there's a certain kind of parent who has a kid for whatever reason, often, I'm not saying it's a case here, often because they want someone who is legally required to love them. And so you figure, hey, it's a kid. It relies on me for food and shelter. It'll have to love me. Uh, and, you know, and, but then they realize a little, you know, later on, like after the first, I don't know, five, six days, oh, God, I have to take care of this. And then it becomes like this big fleshy Tamagotchi thing that you can't just return to the store, stick in a drawer somewhere. And so then the parents do this, they do this whole uh, self-hypnosis of trying to convince themselves that the kid isn't really there. This also explains, by the way, like every time uh, you're, you're just trying to have breadsticks somewhere at an Italian restaurant and there's a kid running around, uh, you know, like he's a weasel on speed, just causing terror. And you're wondering, why don't the parents of that kid do something about it? Can't, yeah, that kid is bothering. It's because the parents don't even hear it. The parents don't hear it anymore. They don't notice it because they spend every waking hour trying to convince themselves that the kid isn't really there because it's the only way that they can wake up in the morning without eating a gun. So that being said... It's entirely possible that if you were maybe a little loony to begin with, the self-hypnosis might be a little too effective, and you might actually do like the Homer Simpson thing, because, you know, there's that great ongoing gag in The Simpsons where Homer, like, can't remember Maggie's name, and occasionally, I think from time to time, has actually just forgotten that Maggie is, in fact, his child. Um, and he'll say, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a baby in the living room, and, you know, and Marge will say, you know, you mean Maggie? You know, and he'll say, oh, it all comes back. This, I believe, is an advanced case of that. That would just be my hypothesis. I have no proof for that. Well, it also could be, I was thinking about this, maybe they have, this person has a lot of kids. Like like with these octuplets, you see. I could see a couple of years from now they got eight kids, and you just sort of forget one of them. Like in Home Alone. <laughs> exactly, like Home Alone or, or whatever. Like there's multiple kids, and that happens. But so, you know, and, but what's really sad is that we're sitting here trying to come up with reasons why this happened when the reality is is that if in my benevolent dictatorship, if I were to ever take over this country, you would just have to have a license to have children. Oh, absolutely. You would have to take a, a basic intelligence test 
And if you did not pass that basic intelligence test, you wouldn't be allowed to have kids. Plain and simple as that. No, I'm a I'm a big fan of that idea. And in fact, you know, there's a whole lot of people walking around now uh, that have kids or are going to have kids that, that shouldn't be. And so I got an answer for the people that are already, uh, you know, uh, that are already sort of, uh, you know, that are already sort of out there or beyond the reach of the system. Uh, because sometimes you get the, you know, like, like you all. And when I say that woman, it's not. I mean, I am thinking of a, of a particular woman. But everybody has seen a variation on this woman. The woman I'm thinking of, by the way, is usually at 17th and Powell, you know, Milwaukee and Powell right there by the Aladdin. Mm-hmm. And she's on right that overpass. <laughs> right. Yes. Right. As you pass, as you, as, if you are heading east on uh, Powell, you'll go underneath the overpass and then there's the jack in the box on your left and then there's the Aladdin on your right. And you see this woman there who she's holding the cardboard sign and it says pregnant. You know, need blah, 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 blah. And by the way, every single time I've seen the woman, she's got like a pack of cigarettes in one hand. So in in the in the, the world where Rick Emerson is the uh, irremovable dictator of all humanity and uh, the decider of all things, we just got a mobile sterilization ban that goes around. And the deal is uh, we're not going to force anybody to be sterilized. We won't, uh, you know, that, that'll be step like five. Step one is that we offer you like... I don't know, something reasonable like $20 in scratch-offs in exchange for sterilizing you and removing any possibility that you're going to spread your idiot uh, seed onto another generation. And, so, and, we, and, you know, it's not like a voucher either. It's not like, or like one of those, these, uh, the analog, the digital the coupon You're not going to run out of coupons. No, no, no. no like we're going to have a fistful of scratch-off lottery tickets right then. And we'll go, hey, uh, you, what's your name? Jasmine? Hey, Jasmine. Is that with a Z? Yes. Do you do you put a heart over the eye? Yes. Hey, I got twenty dollars in scratch offs, Jasmine. Would you like to be sterilized? And then you know, and then she takes the scratch offs. Five minutes in the in the van with a soldering gun of some kind or a cauterizer. Bing, bang, boom. No little Jasmines, uh, you know, to be uh, suckling off uh, uh, the public in the future. So there you go. Yeah. Sarah just handed me this uh, this printout. Along what we're talking about, along the same lines, a Texas family accidentally left a two-year-old girl at a Chuck E. Cheese, and police weren't notified she was missing until the father saw her picture on the news report. Are you ready? Two days later. I wonder, though, and this is, again, I'm not talking about this case, because I'm sure the parents love her very much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But let's say in some alternate universe, let's say in some parallel world where there's a story like this one, because, of course, I... Uh, I'm simply giving my opinion now about a fictitious family. My opinion is protected by the First Amendment. Do you wonder maybe in some you know, some world like ours where this sort of thing happens, if the parents kind of just say, well, what's a place that's filled with kids? I mean, she's not that old. They all, they all you know, kids all kind of look alike at that age. I mean, maybe, maybe they'll just, you know, she'll kind of blend in with another family and she'll end up going home. All right. Now, look, in a worst case scenario... We just say we forgot, and they'll probably buy it. But in a best-case scenario, we get to take that vacation to Reno that we wanted, and we have more disposable income to, to, to lose at the craps table. All right, hold on, let's try. And then, you know, and so they give it a whirl. But then a couple of days later, ah, disaster. The kid is not only found, but it's on the news. And then they realize, like, the jig is up. They got, you know, so they have to go, ah, crap. All right, well, now everybody knows. There is some validity to that because it's a lot like when, when, like, uh, government offices or schools call for a snow day. And so everything shuts down. And then they save all that money because, Mm -hmm. you know, workers aren't going to work. I guess maybe by thinking, okay, if we leave the kid at Chuck E. Cheese's for two days, we won't have to feed her for X number of days. We won't have to change her diapers, all that sort of stuff, you know. But it just it it comes back down to the fact that, um, you know, I, I mean, I know my mom loved me when I was a kid growing up. 
I am sure there were certain times where she just felt like, you know, forget it. I just want to leave him. I, right. I just, you know, she wants to dump me at Burger King and just sure. just walk away. I'm sure there must have been one moment that she felt that, at least one time. But you know what? She didn't do it. Right. That's what makes her better than these parents here. <laughs> and I, I think, speaking for everybody here in the room right now, your parents never you know, accidentally or intentionally <laughs> left you someplace. I mean, I, I think for Not all... That I remember. <laughs> all three of us probably did something at one point oh, or yeah. another where, you know, at least one or both of our parents were shaking their head going, God, if we could just... If we could just leave them... <laughs> Leave him here at the zoo. That that reminds me of a. Um, <laughs> if, just in a side note, I was a kid growing up on the East Coast. We were at some zoo. I can't remember which one. And a kid threw his shoe into the bear with the bears with the bear. Pit. Right. So the mother walks up to some woman selling popcorn right by the the bear pit and says, um, "Excuse me, my son just threw his shoe in. Can we get someone to go get it out?" And the woman selling the popcorn says with a straight face, "says Oh, if you just send your son in to get the shoe, the bears won't bother him." And, you know, I, I remember my mom was, you know, we were trying to move along. I had overheard this, and I just wanted to I, stop I, and watch. I, I was like six years old at the time. I wanted to see if this woman would actually send her kid in to, you know, go get him his shoes from the bears. Ah. Well, you know, here's the thing. If you're not keeping a close enough, look, if you're the parent of a kid at a zoo near bears, and you're not keeping a close enough eye to make sure that he doesn't throw a blunt object at the thing with fangs and claws... You're probably dumb enough uh, to, to accept whatever else, right? But, I mean, this does, you know what, here's a great marketing opportunity. And you know, I say this like a hundred times a week. This one's just as genius as all the others. You know what there ought to be? Somebody ought to put together, and by somebody I mean one of us in this room, because let's be honest, times are hard. Um, the, uh, you know, one always needs more money. You know what we ought to, in fact, this is, I, I'm just, I'm laying this, in, and I'm actually going to say now for the purposes of this discussion, I came up with this idea this morning in the shower before work, making it my own intellectual property, not that of CBS Radio. Um, I had this great idea this morning. What somebody should do is they should take these stories about horrible uh, child uh, you know, neglect by parents or like parents leaving the kids at Chuck E. Cheese. You take them and then you just excerpt part of it and you make like a, like a sort of like a greeting card that has that on the front. And on the inside it says... For not kicking me out of a moving car when I really deserved it. Yeah. <laughs> for not leaving me at Chuck E. Cheese's, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. for not dangling me into the barricade to retrieve my yo-yo. Uh, happy Mother's Day, you know, and then like your loving son, David, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, that would totally, you know, that would sell to people, I would say, a lot like us, with a, perhaps a certain bleak sensibility to their humor. And I, and I, I do two other things. One, the, well, three. <laughs> There's three things. Three, I'll work backward. Three, working with a lot of people and knowing a lot of people, you know, uh, that have kids. And I really honestly am not thinking of Susan Rattles when I say this because everybody assumes that I am. But, I mean, look, we're all, you know, we're all adults, by which I mean we all have friends who are reproducing and they've got kids. And, look, here's the thing. All of us, we all have been around our friends who have kids. And I'm sure they love the kids in most, in most cases. But where we've heard them say things like, oh, you know, sometimes I just want to, like, toss them into a ditch when I'm going down the highway, and I just want to run to Vegas and never come back. And, you know, they're not going to do it. I mean, but it's just stuff you say because you've got to externalize that angst, or otherwise you just sit and you just drink yourself. Otherwise, you just go all Andrea Yates. And so you got to just sort of, like, you got to vent about it occasionally. But as it doesn't kind of freak you out in some ways as an adult when you hear your adult friends, people you know, friends of yours, and you know that they are for the most part good, grounded, stable, rational, normal people, but every now and again you hear them saying things like, 
I don't know. Sometimes that you just think like, oh, if I could just go back and just, uh, if I could go back and just get rid of them all right at birth, I just, I don't know. And then, I but, only remember to take my pills. Right, morning. exactly. Yeah. And yeah. but then you think to yourself. Jesus, like what were my, like my parents by definition were thinking the same thing, especially, I, I don't know if I told you this, I lost my birth certificate at one point, and it was when I had to get my driver's license, it was the whole thing, and I had to send away and get another copy of my birth certificate, and I was looking at it, and my dad, when I was born, my dad was only 25, I am 35 right now, which means by the time my dad was my age, and, the, and look, I can barely walk upright. Let's have no illusions about that. <laughs> By the time my dad was my age, I was already 10, which means I would have been, what, like fifth grade? I remember what a hellion I was in fifth grade. Uh, and while I don't have much sympathy for my dad on that score, I do it for my mom, who really was the one who had to put up, uh, you know, had to do the lion's share of the raising. Nobody like, Jesus, how did they make it through without just smothering me one night while I was asleep? Like, I can't even, I can't even fathom it. Well, you know what I'm thinking about, though? I'm thinking about these poor kids... Like, have you ever played, you know, the Yo Mama game? You know, like, Yo, Yo, Yo Mama's so, so fat. fat. Yeah. yeah. Well, like this one, this most recent Chuck E. Cheese, Yo Mama don't like you so much, she left you a Chuck E. Cheese's. <laughs> I mean, think about that. that that's, that's you're pretty scarred, because four years old, you're going to remember. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and that, and that news clip is going to be on YouTube, too. Hey, remember that time when you were four and your parents left you a Chuck E. Cheese? Yeah. yeah thanks so much. No, that's going to be, you're just going to take your laptop into the therapist's office. <laughs> hey, uh, why are you, so what do you, so, uh, Lucinda, what do you want out of therapy? You know, why are you here? Watch this. And you're just going to, like, open up your MacBook and, like, watch this clip. So, all right, on that note, we'll take a break. Come back after this. Uh, David Walker is here. He will continue to give his uh, rapier-sharp observations on the human condition. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, we got Steve Kassenbaum, Jim Roop, and Katie Darrell from TMZ. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Stay right there, friends and neighbors. Regulators. We regulate any stealing of his property. We're damn good, too. But you can't be any geek off the street. You gotta be handy with the steel if you know what I mean. Earn your keep. Regulators! Mona! It was a clear black night, a clear white moon. Warmer G was on the streets, trying to consume some search for the E. So I could get some phones rolling in my ride, chilling all the time. Just hit the east side of the LBC on a mission trying to find Mr. Warren G. Seen a car full of girls, ain't no need to tweak. All of you searching on what's up with 213. So I hooked select on 21 and Lewis, some brothers shooting dice. So I said, let's do this. I jumped out the rock and said, what's up? Some brothers for some heat. So I said, I'm Here's the thing. I was actually going to say that, I, boy, I don't miss the 90s at all. This is my part here, but the chicken warm as well. Yeah. What year would this have been? Like, '94. I was going to say, because this is the same. Uh, this was the same year that Murder Was the Case came out. I think. Tupac was in everything. There's just no way to. I get the feeling that Tupac would just sort of. Tupac was sort of like. Um, this is the best analogy here all day. In in uh, in the early 90s, Tupac was like uh, Tupac was like that Japanese woman who showed up behind Bill Pullman and all of his photographs in the garage. It was like no matter what you were doing, there's Tupac in the background, and he was. You know, I was wondering where you're going with Japanese woman. Yeah, it's like you would just have some. Like, watch this. Well, it's the new record. As well, he should have. He was so damn hot. Like the new Merle Haggard record, but Tupac would show up at some point at Death Row, you know, and then they move on. All right. 
Well, in any event, it's 503-7... But he was a poet. It's 503-733-2970. I was working, and we'll get to Steve Kastenbaum in a moment, then our good friend David Walker is here. Everyone does, Sarah. I was working uh, kind of graveyard shift, basically, when this came out. And so I would go to work at around 8 o'clock at night, and I would get home at around 4 in the morning. And then from about 4 to 7... Uh, or 8 in the morning uh, until my girlfriend at the time left and went to work I would just sit and watch MTV I would just eat breakfast or dinner or whatever it was at that but I would get home from work early in the morning and I would watch uh, I would watch MTV and I would just uh, I would eat food and wait for my girlfriend to get up and the songs I, I remember them playing all the time I remember this, but I remember uh, uh, I remember Green Day, and that was around the time that they were, I think, at Woodstock '94, and they were playing that live version of When I Come Around, and then they were playing Natural Born uh, Killers by uh, by Dr. Dre and Ice Cube, and then Murder Was the Case, because that was the year that Death Row was sort of like that was the Death Row year, mm-hmm. uh, that was the the apogee of of Death Row's whole you know their impact in the music world, and. And I just remember that murder was the case video was on like every 15 minutes. I mean, it was you could you. Could, I, mean, I remember Tupac's last video where he was wearing those little flap things like California song, and he was doing the shake, shake it, baby. That was right before he died. California love wasn't his last video, was it? I remember. Yeah, that's what I remember it being. Let's ask the man who will probably know the answer to that. Steve Kastenbaum from New York City. Hello, <laughs> Steve Kastenbaum. How are you? <laughs> Sure, put me on the spot. Did you like Tupac shaking around the little flappy clothing, too? Are you talking about the one that was all, uh... He's on this thing, and he's, like, shaked, and it's, like, all... It was all like, Road Warrior, it was all Mad it's Max totally and whatnot? Road, yes, what is that from? That, that is, that's um, that's that Mad is, Max. That's, yeah, that's Mad Max, but that was the, the California Love and or whatever yeah. video, yeah. Yeah, but that was it. I don't think that was his last... Well, last, you mean before, you mean the final video before he died? Because there were videos after that. I'm, um, I'm afraid I don't know the answer to that question, but that's because I'm an East Coast guy. And also, here's the thing. It doesn't really matter. And it, I'm going to look it up. It matters to me. And if you knew, that would mean that there was some other probably more vital uh, bit of information that had been bumped out of your head to make room. So, you know, let's let's all just forget that I asked that question just now. How are you, Steve? I'm doing okay. Happy uh, in this economy to have a uh, stable job right now. Look at you, Segway Master 5000. Is it true? Am I reading this right? Uh, because I said this earlier in the program, and somebody said they thought I was wrong. That there were uh, just this Monday, which is by Monday I mean you know yesterday, seventy thousand job cuts announced. Yeah, huge day for uh, announced job cuts. They're not all taking place at the, uh, at the same time, but they're all announced uh, at the same time. Okay. Caterpillar, you know the the company that makes the big yellow construction uh, vehicles. Right. Thousands of, of people there. Sprint, Nextel, thousands there. Home Depot, many thousands there being laid off, and the the list just keeps going on and on and on. More more layoffs uh, and being announced today. Target said it's going to let people go. They wouldn't say how many just yet. Uh, it's uh, pretty much hit uh, hit a low point. Here's here's a question, and I think I was talking about this off the air yesterday. I can't remember, but I, I'm only asking this because I am legitimately curious about this. And keep in mind. Uh, you know, we here at CBS, like a lot of other uh, companies, like a lot of other media companies, especially, we've experienced layoffs. Uh, you know, on on this show, uh, that is uh, that has touched us, as they say, and every single day. I hear from you know listeners that have that have lost their jobs, that are afraid they can lose their job. I also though have this question: if if these companies are just firing thousands of people all the time, I mean, how do I put this? I mean, it doesn't. I mean, it seems like the companies have still got to make money, so it seems like. 
it seems like by definition, at least some of these jobs that are getting cut probably were sort of fatty jobs to begin with, like the assistant to the assistant to the West Coast under directive, director management guy, you know, or whatever. Or am I wrong about that? I mean, like, is it, you see what I'm saying? Like, there's a difference between the guy who, like, is responsible for, like, putting the spindle in the box, but then there's... Then there's the guy who's, you know, whose job it is to create a graph showing the boxing of spindles so he can present it to the board of directors. Like, that guy's job isn't important. So, do you know what I'm saying? Like, is there, yeah. is there any sort of read on, on what, what here is, is kind of fat and what isn't? We can't tell, you know, where the fat is being trimmed, but we know that that's taking place. Uh, you definitely know that companies are looking ahead, realizing that it's uh, going to be a deep recession for a while. So they're trimming the fat now before they're in serious economic trouble because a lot of the companies that uh, have announced uh, cuts, well, Caterpillar is having a really difficult time because uh, the construction industry, the demand for their product is down dramatically around the world. But, uh, you know, some other companies that have announced uh, layoffs, uh, Sprint, Nextel, you know, sure. they're, they're not doing great. But they're not suffering uh, the way some other companies uh, have been. Suffering. So are there any companies or businesses that are actually growing or hiring? I'm so glad you asked that. You, can you believe that I actually have the answer to that? Courtesy of Fortune Magazine's top 100 companies to work at right now. They do a survey every year. You remember how Google was always at the top of this right. survey? You know, and it's based on a number of different factors, uh, mostly uh, tens of thousands of employee surveys, and Google was always at the top of this list because of the, the legendary uh, benefits the back rubs you could get and stuff like that while at work. <laughs> benefits and back rubs, the Google yeah. story. Benefits and back rubs. Okay. They, uh, they, yeah, they, you know about that. At, at Google, they, you used to be able to get back rubs. they take your car out for uh, an oil change if you needed, pick up your dry cleaning. You know, actually, if I can just say this, that I actually did when I worked at Citadel Broadcasting, uh, as, as shoddily uh, and as shabbily as I was sort of treated in some ways by certain uh, folks at that company, when I worked at Citadel Broadcasting, no lie, on Fridays, it was back rub day, and I'm not making that up. Wow. Fridays and Fridays they had we had a, a trade uh, I think the company traded out something with like a local massage clinic or school or whatever and like on Fridays guy would come to the office with the back rub chair and you know the back rub chair it's the same one they have at the airport and right. you like face down in the chair 10 minutes on the neck it was fantastic nice yeah That's all right sweet. it makes all the other uh negative things about the workplace go away for yes. 10 minutes exactly all right so um yeah, I hear you. There's tons of benefits when you work for a subsidiary of Time Warner, as as I do, but you never have the time to take advantage of them. But um, anyway, so who's hiring? So uh, there's uh, apparently still a need for sound financial advice because Edward Jones, which is a stable investment uh, brokerage house, they are hiring hundreds of uh, investment uh, folks, uh, advisors and brokers. Google is still hiring, although not like they used to. They have a couple of hundred openings right now, but... Did you know that they get 700,000 applicants a year at Google? I, that doesn't surprise me at all because it's, I mean, because, you know, a lot of those are, I would say the bulk of those folks are probably people who are not qualified in any way to work there, but it's just because the company has such cachet. Right. Uh, Methodist Hospital System, they're hiring folks. Uh, Wegmans Food, you know, their supermarket. Right. Uh, and Whole Food, uh, Whole Foods, they're hiring. Uh, Genentech. Cisco Systems, all these companies have uh, hundreds of openings right now, and they happen to be on this list of uh, the top 100 places to work. I mean, it's odd that Whole Foods would be hiring since they're a store, I mean, in, this, in the recession, because they're a store that charges like $15 for a coconut. <laughs> I mean, really, don't get me wrong. I, my wife buys stuff there, which is how I know that, because I'll look at 
I hate to be that guy. Uh, but it's like, you know, you occasionally look at the bill and you go, where did where did this bottle of, like, grape juice come from? Whole Foods? Ah, okay, it, because you're looking at the price tag that says, like, $49. And you kind of go, well, you know, and then it, but it's fair trade. And you say, well, uh, okay, then. That's the thing. They have a built-in clientele that isn't going there. You know, uh, a huge segment of their clientele, a huge segment of their uh, shopping, uh, uh, the base uh, customer there is shopping there for ethical reasons. Yeah. So they're not going to lose those folks. So they're going to still uh, take in a lot of cash. So they've got uh, at Whole Foods uh, 800 openings right now for retail and non-retail positions, ranging from you know guys on the floor to uh, administrative jobs and uh, like accounting. Here's a here's a weird question. What about the uh, you know those like uh, temp agencies? Like, well, there's two different kinds of temp agencies. There is like the there's like the white collar temp agency, which is sort of like you know your your receptionist, your uh, you know your 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 assistant, uh, you know the sort of generic office assistant type, and you know those like there's those companies all over. Every city has every city oh, yeah. has that company. So there's that... great money working for one doing desktop publishing. See, and I went to uh, I when I, I got one of many firings ago. I went to uh, I went to uh, a temp agency that had actually been a sponsor of my show. By the way, I say with uh, some degree of bitterness, they'd actually been a sponsor of my show. Yet when I got fired, I went there I'm like, hey. Uh, hook me up, and they're like, oh, sorry, nothing for you. And so they sent me away. So there's that, but then there's also those like those like labor places where you know it's like you see the guys out front. You know, there's one of those down the street from us actually, and it's the temporary, the labor for the you know the job for a day places where you go and it's like some place that needs uh, stuff moved or they need some other kind of manual labor that is for a day or just a couple of days, but it's a totally legal above board business. I'd be curious to know how those places are, are doing right now. You know, uh, all of the recruiters and headhunters I, I spoke with said. Uh, temp agencies are a great place to go right now in this economy because just because a company's laid off uh, 7,000 people doesn't mean the work still doesn't need to be done. And they wind up filling positions on a temporary basis with uh, folks in these temporary agencies. So if you have skills that are transferable, like I, I don't know how in the world to use Excel, but Excel is like a really important uh, right. skill to have, right? If, if you have that, you're marketable at a temp agency. You should actually no. – here I am again. It, it only took me four minutes, I think, this time to get to it. Here's something you should do, Steve. Yes? You know, if I can just make an observation about myself here. I think in any other circumstance, it would be considered exceptionally rude that I'm constantly telling people how to do their jobs. Because I'm always going, like, Steve, here's what you need to do uh, at CNN, I say. I'm envisioning the tick, though, that, that Sarah described the other day. Uh, I didn't do the tick because I'm sitting down, and that tick of, like, raising my hands like Jesus and then bringing them back down as though I'm praying... I can only do that standing. If I'm sitting down, I kind of do. I do. The, if I'm sitting down, here's what I do, because uh, I know everybody cares about this. If I'm sitting down, I put my hands on the edges of the counter and I lean in really closely to the microphone, and my eyes go all big. Um, here's what you ought to do, though. I would be, uh, you know, I think what would be fascinating to people is an article describing the most valuable or transferable quote common skills. Like, in other words, like not being a trapeze artist, but like, uh, you know, knowing how to use Excel. I'd be curious to see what skills like that are the most in demand right now. That's a really good one. I'm, I'm writing that one down All for right. real, I, I, and I am actually going to follow up on this one. What right. are the most transferable skills? Right, there you go. They tell you to reinvent yourself. Figure out what it is that you have uh, as far as your skill set is concerned that you can take from your position and apply it to any other position. Yeah. I'm uh, next time I get fired I'm just going to reinvent myself as a drunk just so you know. Like so if I don't answer the phone or answer your emails for long periods of time just know that. You know what you could reinvent yourself as? No. A Please tell me it's consultant. 
a news story idea man. You could sit in on the pitch meeting. Wait a minute, reinvent. I've been trying to. Have, have I been? Have I been too subtle? Have I not been blunt enough over the last year? <laughs> I hate to tell that that's really what I've been angling for this whole time. Rogers in on like the editorial meetings at, at your local uh, TV news station. You know, uh, you know, from, from your mouth to God's ear, sir. So. All right. I'll, I'll start the calls now. I'll hire you to go pitch me to them. All right. Thank you, my friend. As always, have a great day. We will talk to you very soon, Steve. Thanks a lot. All Take right. care. There you go. All right. Do we have an answer on the uh, what was Tupac's final video before death front? No, I couldn't find that because I got distracted by this story. By I want to give you this story. All right. Because I don't think that I could do it justice. But... All right. <laughs> Sarah is handing me a story. I don't know if it's Hold a... Hold on. There we go. If it's, right. I can I can handle for the worst story ever, but it's one of the worst things I've. I saw this this morning actually, and I I failed to print it out. Hmm. I'll just read this quickly, then we'll be uh, rejoining David Walker at the news desk. It's from the Orlando Sentinel. I'm taking my I'm recusing myself out of this one, Sarah, which means it's from Florida. A Jacksonville promotions company plans to sell a doll. Do we have creepy clown music or anything? Or, like, do we have creepy, like, carnival music? Didn't we have something at one point that was just our, it was like a weird, like, it was like a strange, like, circus calliope. I think that was just something that sort I of a thing. randomly found. Uh, yeah, it's not really a clown anyway, watch. Well, we have to break anyway, so should we do it on the other side? We should find some creepy music yes. to accompany this, though. Mm-hmm. You know what I used to have was that calliope circus music from the Lost Boys. I wish I still had that. Um, all right. And then we'll get the phone calls. Hello, David Walker. How are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? All right. David Walker, I gave it to Rick instead of you because you need to hear the horror of this. I'd like, yeah, your okay. reaction is really what's going to be priceless here. Okay. Right. I'll be I'll be I'll be waiting in anticipation. Oh, by the way, before we do anything else here, apparently, uh, according to Wikipedia, that means true. According to Wikipedia, uh, says that uh, let's see, it says that Warren G had a stroke that has paralyzed the left side of his body. So there you go. Oh, somebody just messed with that. I didn't see that. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying. Oh, by the way, just final thing here. <laughs> the it's the final thing about uh, about Warren G. Uh, this is from uh, our good friend Keelan. Keelan says. The only thing I remember about Warren G. was that he couldn't spell. On his actual album, Rick, one of his rhymes goes, quote, What's next? What's next? What's N-X-E-T? It's me, Warren, to the mother effing G. Hmm. Next, N-X-E-T. I think that's the metric way of spelling it. Yeah. All right, that's the uh, that's a cool new way they talk in Arizona. All right, back after this, uh, we'll take a break. David Walker returns on the other side. I got this story. It's awful in an entirely different way. It has nothing to do with intestines or spiders or eyes. On the other side. Uh, let's see, later on, uh, Katie Darrell from PMZ, Jim Roop. More uh, news around the corner. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Sarah, did we ever figure out how many uh, children uh, Warren G. has? I've been told that he has four children. No, 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 impregnate. Sorry. 
It's 503 I can't stop now. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. To answer your question of like an hour ago, I am almost certain we could get Warren G. on the program at this point. I think we should. Because here's the thing. Like, just Did you he... say that you heard he had a stroke? Uh, somebody put on, it was on the Wikipedia that he had a stroke, but I, who knows? They might be confusing him with Stephen Adler. That seems likely. Um, but it... But whether or not you've heard it, I mean, almost certainly. I mean, any guy like that. I mean, him, Corey Feldman, whoever. What do you know? Well, I got a new project I'm working on. Almost got it financed. Who did I see running his mouth about that the other day? It was freaking Scott Schwartz from The Toy, which came out like 70 years ago. Uh, and he was also in Kids Incorporated. No, Kidco. Kids Incorporated. No, no, no. Not Kids Incorporated. Kidco. I'm sorry. He was in Kidco. The Toy with Richard Pryor. And Jackie Gleason. Jackie Gleason. Yes. Oh, wow, I almost put that movie out of my memory no, completely, no, no, no. but um, Can I tell thanks you, for bringing it back. Here's the thing about the toy and me, is that uh, we growing up, we had, I forget exactly when we got a VCR, like in the grand scheme of like when Americans got VCRs, but we had a VCR and then we had like the old slidey cable box, which we upgraded at one point because my dad wanted to be able to watch a movie on this newfangled pay-per-view thing. He wanted to see what pay-per-view was all about. And I, in fact, do you remember the first movie you or thing you ever got on pay-per-view, David Walker? Uh, you know, honestly, I cannot remember. At given time, I probably could. It was probably something like 48 hours or something like that. Right out of that. We, the first thing we ever got on pay-per-view at the Emerson household was to live and die in L.A., um, which I remember thinking was – I liked it way more. This And this, by the way, set the tone for all of our future pay-per-view uh, purchases that – I liked it way more than the rest of the family. Like, to live and die in L.A., I was like, this is pretty great. And my, the rest of my family just didn't care for it at all because they were rubes. And, <laughs> I mean, seriously. And I'm not like I'm not, but I mean, but I was sort of embraced it. And I think we gave it a couple more times. We got Stand By Me on pay-per-view. Also, I was the only one that liked it. And then we got, um, Jesus, something else. Something else of quality. Uh, you know, it was it was like... Um, Did you say you were the only one that liked Stand By Me? In my household. Wow. Yeah. I mean, because they're... That's, I'm sorry, well, man. They're, they're hicks. What do you want? I mean, it's, you know, so... Have you gotten a hug today? No. Okay. Sarah, go give him a hug a little Please. later. Oh, why are you... You brought up the hug. You should hug him. You... Uh, no, you... I'm, I'm a bad hugger. No, where we don't, we don't... We don't hug you. Okay. We're not a hugging <laughs> people. Um, but anyway, so... Uh, but as time went on, it's like the taste got the bar got lowered and lowered and lowered and lowered in our house until eventually my parents found the sort of pay-per-view things that they would get. And so that's why, you know, and of course I was only like 10, so it's like I couldn't make any decisions. Like I couldn't demand that we order something. And of course I couldn't call the cable company at that point because you had to do it over the phone with a credit card. And so I couldn't be making those decisions myself. So I just had to watch whatever my parents would get. And but this was before scrambling and, and, and watermarking and the macrovision. So this was in the days when you could order a pay-per-view thing, and then you could just tape it on your VCR and have it forever. So you had Stand By Me. You had to live and die in L.A. But then if you were to look at my family's, like, that crusty-ass, like, VHS tape collection that every family had uh, all the way up to the early 90s, where it was like the labels were all scratched out, and it was like you took the time to mark what speed it was. This was on SLP, which was like the ass speed which means that like you could record nine hours on one tape, but it looked like crap. It seemed like a good idea at the time, so you went back to rewatch it. And then totally. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, and okay, see now we're this is dangerous because now we're in my wheelhouse. I can go on this for hours. But we still have to do the creepy story. Yes, but but I have to say this because this is now because you know what this is, Sarah. This is relatable to the people. Here's the other thing. Not only did everybody just record everything on like the terrible long ass uh, speed on the VHS tape, but you find yourself recording things. And you'd look back and you'd go, like, why? Well, that's presuming you even bothered to label it, because half the time you'd be like, what tape was the... How did I... Hey, 
Hey, uh, Johnny, which of these tapes is uh, is the rodeo? Which one is the homemade pornography? And it's like you you would never know. But then also, like, if it was labeled, you would look at the label of like a spine of the VCR of the VHS tape. You'd be like, what? Here's an actual example from my family's VHS library. I would look at it as a kid, and I would think to myself, why did we take this unveiling of the Statue of Liberty after the 1986 remodel job? Like, my parents took an entire VHS tape on the slow setting, of course, because it was like five hours long. An entire thing where basically they just took the scaffolding from the Statue of Liberty and went like, hooray, it's shiny. And like that took up a whole tape. Um, anyway, but so my parents I, would, I have relatives like that. That's why I'm laughing, but go on. So my parents would tape all of these bad movies off pay-per-view. And I had no choice. And so when you're a kid, it's like, you know, we didn't really, and I, don't, I think we had cable, but it was like, it was crap cable. It wasn't like today with your, uh, you know, with your G4 and your uh, oxygen. And so... I would just watch, and of course, when you're young, and I think this is a guy thing, and I think this is a boy thing, to watch movies a thousand times in a row. Women, like my wife, my wife and I were doing like a little ad hoc movie trivia thing last night, and it was difficult because I realized there aren't a lot of movies that my wife has seen more than a couple times. You know, Sarah watches movies over and over again, but that's another one of Sarah's kind of guy traits that she has. Most women, most, not all, but most women... And watch a movie a few times. Maybe if it's a favorite, they'll watch it when they're sick or when they've broken up with somebody or it's a comfort movie. But guys will just sit and they'll be like, I'm going to watch Evil Dead every day uh, for the next three months, every single day before I, you know, before I go to bed at night. And that's why you can sit here and I can recite like entire scenes from the Blues Brothers or something. But two of the movies we had on tape, because they were exactly my parents' style of comedy, The Toy with Richard Pryor and Jackie Gleason and a movie with Harvey Corman, uh, Tim Conway, and Ted Wass, for the win, called The Long Shot, which is about some guys fixing a horse race, and by the way, which features an opening credit song by Ice-T, rapping with Tim Conway. Even I haven't seen that one, and I've seen some doozies. When I, uh, I got, we'll talk to Katie Darrell in just a moment, Tim Riley and I got the, uh, got the chance to introduce and go backstage with Tim Conway and Harvey Corman when they did their final show before Corman died. This was about uh, two years ago. We got to introduce them at the, at, at the Schnitzer. And we went backstage, and I met him. I'm like, hey, Mr. Corman, big fan. Tim Conway, big fan. And I said, I loved you guys in the long shot. And Conway, you know, those guys are so used to just meeting people. They're like, I love you in the Carol Burnett show. I love yeah. you in whatever. And I said, loved you in the long shot. And he actually stopped for a second. And he kind of narrowed his eyes. And he goes, what, really? And I said, yeah. And he goes, where did you even see that? And I said, on pay-per-view. I watch it all the time. And he, and he actually said, hey, Corman. This guy's seen Long Shot, and I guess I was like the only person they'd ever met that had seen the movie, which does, by the way, feature Ted Wass giving mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to a goldfish. I'm going to have to find that one. All right. So I can do whole sequences from the toy, is my point. Like big passages of dialogue. Remind me to make one other observation about that. We're done. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from TMZ.com, our good friend Katie Darrell. Hello, Katie Darrell. Hello. How, How are you? I'm, uh, I'm fantastic. How's life in the big city? Life in the big city is fabulous. I can't complain. My life is perfect. I wish I could say the same about all these celebrities, though. Excellent. What is it? To, what is it that is obsessing you today, Katie Darrell? The big story that we're obsessing over, and, and I know that this is going to really hit close to your heart because I know that you're such a big Backstreet Boys fan. More than anything. I know. I know. I mean, baby, bye, bye, bye. Oh no, wait, that's instinct. Oh man. Ruining my own pitches now. Uh, A.J. McLean, he's this guy that was in the Backstreet Boys. He was the one that kind of had the weird, scruffy facial hair. No, but it was like it was mascara, like he'd drawn it on or something. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Exactly. He had like a landing strip on his chin. It was pretty gross. 
Uh, anyway, this is actually a pretty serious story because um, back in 2008, he had celebrated six years of sobriety, and we have some new footage that came out from last night. He was outside the Key Club in Los Angeles, um, pretty wasted out of his mind. So it's pretty clear and evident that he's um, no longer on the sober wagon. He's uh, fallen off, and uh, he's uh, now confronted with what to do next because, uh, obviously, you know, Someone who's been battling alcoholism—it's uh, a lifelong battle, and he's fallen off the wagon. Now, they, so. Those guys, the Backstreet Boys—they do a big. They were going to do a comeback, or they did a comeback. Maybe I missed it. Yeah, they did do a comeback. It was—it uh, was last year. They put out a song or two. I think there, there's like five guys in Backstreet. One didn't want to come back, so maybe the album was with only four of them. Um, and, and so things, you know, were potentially looking on the up and up because, you know, as much as, you know, these Backstreet Boys comeback reunions maybe didn't hit the Main Street, you know, hot AC radio station, some of those, like, easy-listening mom stations picked up the music. So, unfortunately, um, you know, we did see him stumbling around last night and not mm-hmm. talking so straight. You can watch the, the video right there at TMZ.com. Um, when he did go to rehab in 2001 and in 2002, it was not only for alcohol, but it was also for cocaine abuse. I sort of take it as an article of faith. Maybe this is just my uh, pessimistic outlook on the human race. I sort of just assume that anybody who's uh, you know, an alcoholic or a boozer or they're a junkie or something, I, I always just figure that it's not a matter of uh, if, it's just sort of a matter of when, right? Because it does seem to be like all everybody just sort of in on the wagon, off the wagon, on the wagon, off the wagon. And very rarely... Uh, does it seem like somebody ever it cleans up and then they're just that way forever? I mean, it always does seem to be an inevitability that they're filmed vomiting into the shrubs outside of some uh, club in L.A. Yeah, you know, more more often than not, um, people do relapse. I mean, I can't say all the time because we, you know, there are you know several success stories. Um, none are coming to mind right now, but certainly, uh, and, and even outside of the limelight of celebrityism, um, so many people can stay sober. Right. But but that's why they call it a battle. You know, I mean, like end of story. So many people do fall off the wagon and. and under the microscope of Hollywood, those people fall off the wagon more often than not. Um, so, you know, is it a surprise? I, in his, you know, I want, I want to be a supporter. I want to say yes, it's a, a surprise. We want to always support people, but um, here in Hollywood, obviously, it's not a new thing. Well, someone realized. I mean, look at the price. He could have woken up chained up in uh, Boy George's house. Oh, so, I mean, this is true. This I mean, is true. What else is uh, going on at TMZ? Well, are, do you watch? 24? Are you a fan of that show? Um, I, I, here's the thing. I am that guy who is surrounded by a lot of people who watch 24, and then I myself do not, and I kind of feel out of the cultural loop uh, because of it. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm in the same uh, party as you. I don't watch it. Everyone else seems to love it, so I appreciate, you know, whenever we get a good story right. from someone from the cast and crew of uh, 24, but apparently there, there's uh, this co-star to uh, Jack Bauer, uh, whose name is uh, Chloe O'Brien, and her, the actress na- is named uh, Mary Lynn Rajskub or something similar to that. I, I have to apologize for the mispronunciation. But we caught up her at LAX, and uh, we talked about 24 and that, you know, all things are going to have to come to an end. And what is her prediction? And this is a big deal because her prediction, because this is a girl that always is saving Jack Bauer and is running around right. with Jack Bauer, she says that Jack is going to die. So is this just her, you know, being tongue-in-cheek with us? Or is this, you know, does she know that this is what the writers will do in the end for 24? Occasionally, and you, kill them off? You, and you do have that. I think uh, some uh, colleagues of ours had this with somebody from Battlestar Galactica a while back, where, especially where they're taking so long between seasons sometimes now, and certain shows are splitting the season. And I think actors themselves will sometimes forget what's aired and what hasn't and what's been written and what's being shot. 
And they'll do an interview. They'll go like, well, of course, after uh, the character of Bob is killed in a threshing machine, and then they don't realize that nobody knows that yet because it hasn't actually aired. And that's exactly. why he's, you know, so. All right, then. Well, duly noted. We'll see now. Now, here's the thing. If I ever do watch the series and that does come to pass, it'll remove some of the tension because I'll know the resolution of the whole thing. You're just a little bit more comfortable with uh, letting go. Excellent. All right. On that note, Katie Darrell, it is always a pleasure, and I mean that with the utmost sincerity. Thank you so much, right. Rick, and I'll talk to you guys next talk week. Talk to you next week. Here you go. Katie Darrell from TMZ. All right. Uh, and so We've got to do the story. All right. Oh, are we going to read this creepy story? Yes. Oh, here's the final thing about the toy. Okay. Um, so... Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> the toy. <laughs> Look, you damn woman. This is a touchstone for my generation. No, I've heard you talk about the toy for years. I never it's, even knew it existed. The thing is, it's such a. I mean, it's messed up. I it's know. It's such a painfully offensive movie that you. I mean, yeah. when you look at, but of course, I'm like an idiot white kid. What did I know? I mean, I you know, you're talking to a black man saying that it's painfully offensive. <laughs> and, the, and the character's name was Master Bates. That exactly. Was, yeah. That's the other thing, which is which is funny and or offensive on like three different yeah, levels, exactly, right? Yeah. Because his name is Eric Bates, and of course, you know, can I? I used to have some relatives that would actually call me that. They would like send me Christmas presents, or would be like Master Emerson or whatever, and, and which I thought was weird. And creepy. But then, as a kid, I was like, again, I'm like nine. I didn't put together. His name is Eric Bates. Yeah. Master Bates. Which, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a Noel Coward-esque wit. <laughs> but then I also didn't realize that his, you know, his, like, about a, a small white child, in fact, buying a black man. And he is referred to as Master Bates. Yeah. Which I didn't really realize. Um, but you look at that now and you kind of go, how, I mean, look, I know that that was 20 years ago, but... That or whatever. That long ago. I mean, yeah. I mean, like Sarah was still was was even alive back then, and she's like twenty one. So yeah. I mean, so like even by uh, even by standards, and it, I mean, it doesn't seem like that's a movie that ought to have been allowed to be released. Yeah. Like, maybe nineteen thirty eight. Somebody should have caught that and gone. Uh, no, needs more development. <laughs> All right, well, in any event. All right, let's. Uh, is this Jim Roop? Yeah. Hold on, let me look. God, time is getting. If it's Jim, today. if it's Jim Roop, then we're gonna then we're gonna have to take a break. All right. All right. So I'll tell you what. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Jim Roop, then the creepy story. Uh, then we actually have uh, nothing else sort of scheduled or planned for the rest of the hour. So we'll actually uh, be able to get to some of this, what do you call it, that news that we're always teasing. All right. Back after this, it is the uh, it is the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. Stay there. is a straight line that would only happen on the show. Indeed. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. I still got to get to this awful story. And I've gone to the whole show feeling like there's a popcorn husk or something in the back of my throat. You were saying that earlier. Well, you got all that goo in your head, and then I got all this... I know. All right, well, I didn't take my suit of bed. Before we do anything else, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Los Angeles. CNN Radio Correspondent James Roop. Hello. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Good afternoon, sir. Thank you for uh, being so patient. We we're running behind today. Oh, no, that's okay. It's been a bit of a day, I say. Making it sound like something dramatic has happened. Really, it's just the usual sloth and yeah, inattention to detail. Same, man. Okay. See, that's what I'm talking about right there. That's what sets you apart, my friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, anywho. Um, so, uh, let me ask you this, because we uh, I was talking to Lisa Desjardins about this the other day. And this business of the of the auto industry and the bailout and the hey we're making these cars that nobody seems to buy somebody ought to give us some money, and that has been I think the bone of contention for a lot of people. But 
you know, the, as I said at the time, you know, all of this, uh, this stuff was happening with the auto industry wanting like a jillion dollars because they just can't seem to sell anybody a huge SUV. Like the Canyoneros aren't moving like they were. And I said that Chrysler, of all people, ought to have known better because Chrysler went through this whole thing in the 70s. Yeah. And they got killed by the Japanese because the Chrysler's making these big gas guzzlers. Nobody wanted The Japanese came in. They started making these small, fuel-efficient cars. Iacocca had to go to the government and be like, hey, and I think it was something small at the time. Like it was... I don't know, like just $1 billion or something. And, you know, the government uh, saved their asses and said, look, but like, this is it. Like, we're not doing this again. Don't come back to us for more money. And, of course, it happened again, and they went back to them for more money. So all that being said, it, it, it does seem like the time is, 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 is high or nigh or a word like that for the government to look at the auto industry uh, or to look at, uh, you know, to, to look at people who are sort of tangential to that and say, look, like things have got to start uh, changing. And part of that has to do with gas and part of it has to do with emission standards. And because those two things are tied together. But, of course, it's impossible to get anything done. And the states resist all of these changes. So that being said, I know that California, there's a, I know they're trying to do something with the emissions there, which ties right back to the auto industry. Yeah, I mean, for years, I mean, since 19 or 2002, rather, uh, California has been trying to get or enact real I – mean, we got tough standards anyway. And, and really, they've been trying to, to do the equivalent of taking six and a half million cars off the roads and increase the emission – or increase the standards on tailpipe emissions. And three years ago, uh, we – or the California request by the Bush administration a, a waiver from the federal guidelines to enact tougher guidelines, and the Bush administration said no. And for three years, Governor Schwarzenegger has been butting heads with the Bush administration saying, can't you have the EAP at least review our waiver request? No, 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 no. Uh, President Obama the other day said, oh, yeah, they're going to reconsider it. They're going to do it right now. So the other 12 states who want to adopt these higher standards can do so, too. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, and especially if you're going to bail out a, a conglomerate, a, a big company like an auto company, it seems like if you're going to give them billions of dollars, they should do what you tell them to do, including – uh, R&D for cleaner burning engines, right. alternative fuel cars, or whatever. And you know, you're absolutely right what happened to, in, in the 70s, man. The Japanese came in, the foreign cars came in, uh, GM and everybody else decided they had to make smaller cars. They did that. Then when the economy kind of eased up a little bit, they started making big cars again. I don't know what the hell <laughs> we are, is wrong with us, but it, it Somebody had to foresee it was never going to get better. It was just going to get easier. Then it was going to get hard again. And it, it's just amazing to me. So now with this new order by the president, it looks like uh, – I don't know how long it's going to take, but it looks like California is going to get that waiver, and they're going to be able to demand that cars be made differently. So now there's going to be two standards. Uh, by which the automakers have to make cars. Well, and like you said, I mean, if you're, we're going to give you like five hundred skillion dollars. Seems like the least you could do is uh, help us out a little bit. How about you? Uh, why don't you meet us halfway on this? Oh, I wouldn't even say meet me halfway. I'd say here's what you're going to do. If I'm going to bail you out and keep you alive, here's what you're going to do. I wouldn't say meet me halfway. Well, especially in the case of Chrysler, which is a privately owned company, a company, in other words, in which I cannot buy stock. So, you know, if Chrysler, you know, if I, if Chrysler won't even allow me to buy stock, but I'm expected to just sort of bend over as they reach in and take the wallet out of me, uh, then, you know what, you know, yeah, as you said, that's going to come with some strings, friend. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, what, what was it? We we used to, back in the 70s, I think it was, when, when Nixon was going on and on about alternative fuels, uh, we were importing a third 
of the oil we use in this country. Now we're importing half. So we're, no, we're not getting anywhere near where we need to be. I got a great idea. Uh, here's what we should do. Here's how we can finance this entire thing. Because, you know, there's this whole debate going on right now about who owns the moon. Uh, I was reading this great article in Wired magazine where America made some sort of, because I think India, nobody talked about this, but, you know, India went to the moon like six months ago. Uh, it wasn't people, but they sent, like, a probe, and they put a flag or something, and it was sort of overshadowed by everything else that was going on. But, like, India went to the moon, so immediately America filed a whole, like, we own it, sort of a thing. Like, it was a, it, it's crazy. But, I mean, it's an actual news. It was, I was reading about it the other day. Uh, it, it, America was suddenly freaked out, as we always are, that some other country might want something that we might want to do something, you know, with someday. And so Ameri America, the United States, I mean, I don't even know where you file this paperwork. Is it like that Pueblo, Colorado, 81009? If you'd like to or own a planet, send to, or is it like the guy names a star after you or whatever? You name the moon after me? Great. You know, we're Rocky Moselle for like a thousand bucks. We'll sell you like the Sea of Tranquility. But America was immediately like, no, 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 the moon, that's us. And we were sort of like putting caution tape around it or something so that India couldn't own it. So now there's this whole debate in the United Nations over who owns the moon and who will own other planets. And this does, by the way, seem to be a recurring theme with, let's just say, in this case, the United States, where we go someplace, and regardless of if somebody else might already be there, we just sort of decide that it's ours. You know, and we're already here. No, you're not. It's ours now. Um, but it's like a whole business. Who owns the planets? Here's what we ought to do. The United States ought to just file the appropriate paperwork, like maybe at late at night when nobody else is up. We own the sun. And then... We just charge everybody else if they want to use the sun for any kind of power. <laughs> then that funds our alternative energy program. Problem solved. There you go. Bada bing, bada boom. So you got to fi just find out exactly how it is that we're documenting the fact that we own uh, the moon. And then we just do exactly the same thing. Well, Kastenbaum's in New York. He should go to those debates. Yeah, see, then that's, maybe they'll say you have to land something on the sun. Fine. Done. <laughs> Shoot something into the sun. Uh, you know, and, and then uh, and then there you go. The, the sun is ours. You got to pay a surcharge. Next, that's it. We'll cut a, we put a tap on it. Yeah, that's the, that's your brilliant idea for today, sir. Oh, thank you. All right. Uh, are you on tomorrow, my friend? Yes. All right. We will speak with you then. Till then, have a fantastic day, sir. Thank you. All right. There you go, Jim Roop. All right. Hello, Sarah. Hello. I've been trying to find the. I want the black man. But I can't find anywhere because all the trailers and everything... Would you like to give context to what it... <laughs> There's any number of ways that could be taken. Um, from the toy? From the toy. Yeah. But it's funny because everything, every part of the movie is just like, I know what I want. And then it cuts. It doesn't... Does he really say... In the trailer? Yeah. Oh, maybe... Well, in the trailer and then in segments of the movie. I've been watching it. I... You know, it's been... Uh, does he that? say, I want the black man? Uh, yeah. I think he does. He I'm does. sure he does. No, no he does because... He... Are you really asking me? Because I can tell you. You know, no, I David Walker. I, that's the thing. I believe you. I, I don't no, want to be fruitlessly searching I, for something I, I, that doesn't I have exist. no doubt. He does, because here's the thing. In the movie The Toy, Richard Pryor is employed, uh, even though his skills are commensurate with those of being a journalist, a newspaper reporter, which at that time was a desirable profession. Uh, he, of course, can't get the gig, uh, you know, because black. And, and so they give him a job as the janitor in this sort of huge department store. And so late at night, he's engaging in wacky shenanigans. And there's a I thing. I'm in the crazy hamster wheel. Yeah, there's a thing called. A, it's not a hamster wheel. It's a wonder wheel. Oh, there's a thing called a wonder wheel, which is a huge inflatable tire, basically. And you get inside. I wanted one of these so bad when I was a kid. You get inside, and it, like you can roll. Like one of your friends can like push you down the street like into wheels. traffic or whatever. Yeah. Uh, um, but so Richard Pryor is rolling through the store late at night with his Walkman on, uh, and of course doesn't realize he's being watched by the son of the billionaire who has showed up because I guess the deal is he gets to pick whatever he wants from his dad's department store. So he points at Richard Pryor rolling around in the Wonder Wheel, 
and he says, he says, uh, uh, you know, he says, I, I want that. And Ned Beatty, who was like, you know, like the sort of uh, the sort of the sort of yes man, Ned Beatty says, ah, he wants, you know, he wants the Wonder Wheel. We'll get him a Wonder Wheel. And the kid, Scott Schwartz, says, no, 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 I want the black man. And Ned Beatty thinks he's talking about like the wheel. And he goes, oh, he wants he wants one in black. We'll get him a black one. Get one of those in black. And Scott Schwartz says again, for like the third cringe-inducing time in ten seconds, I want the black man. And then... I want a black man. Right there. From the toy. <laughs> uh, and so there you go. And again, like a PG movie that was targeted. And it wasn't like the movie was being done to some subversive discussion of race relations in America at that time. Or We weren't allowed to have those in the 80s. That was the Reagan administration. Because everyone was happy, David. That's right. Whether they liked were. it or not. Everyone was content. There was to be no dissent or discord. <laughs> was it you that was afraid to bash on Reagan last week? Uh, For some I, insane reason? I wasn't necessarily afraid. We got to bashing on Reagan. I actually got a phone call from someone after the show. They were like, wow, I can't believe you had those horrible things to say about Reagan. Why didn't you get worse? I, that was the thing. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> anyway, He's so... Um, anyway. <laughs> Good riddance. So, uh, um, so anyway, so there you go. So that's the toy, which is apparently out on DVD. You checked. Yeah, and it's it, surprising. It was directed by Richard Donner. Yes, it was. There you go. I, I didn't... The I man didn't behind Superman. It. And it came out in 82. That's what it says yeah. here. Oh, by the way, speaking of Richard Donner, you know what I finally saw the other day was that Superman 2, the, the Richard Donner cut? Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is interesting. More interesting, though, is listening to it with a commentary. Boy, what a bitter bastard he is. <laughs> you t he can't get five seconds of that commentary without that. Screw them! He's you know, just like so angry about the studio and everything. And, and uh, what's his name? Richard Lester, the guy who took over the movie? Oh, yeah. 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 I have that. I haven't watched it yet, though. Oh, he's full of hate. It's interesting. It's, uh, you know, it's a different movie. It's like 80% of the footage is, is different or presented differently anyway. Interesting. So, all right. Hey, do you want to do some actual news? Well, why don't we just, why don't we do the creepy story? Well, let's do some news and I'll end with that. Okay. And then we'll take a break. So, ladies and gentlemen, at the news desk. And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. All right. Well, President Barack Obama met today with uh, members of the uh, Senate. Actually, uh, oh, I'm so sorry. I was, I just blew that, didn't I? But anyway, would you like to write again? Hold on, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, at the news desk, David. And Hall. now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. President Barack Obama met with GOP lawmakers on Capitol Hill today, shortly after the House GOP leaders tried to rally opposition to the stimulus measure backed by the White House. This uh, stimulus package comes with an $825 billion price tag. That's a lot. So this of money. is not the other 350 billion. Yeah. This is like a separate chunk of money. This is this is there this is what the White House is putting forth to save our struggling economy. In case you haven't heard, economy's in trouble right now. I heard something about that. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from where is this money coming? I, I well, I mean, this, this is this is what's really interesting because there's there's a whole bunch of stuff, and I, I I've been doing a little bit of research on this all all morning long. Basically, the Republicans don't believe in anything that um that the Obama team has put together, the Democrats. This is what uh, Republican Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky said today. We think the country needs a stimulus, but he went on to say that he doesn't believe that this can be accomplished through po projects like, quote-unquote, fixing up the mall. This is um, this whole repairing the National Mall in Washington. He also says that he believes that Republicans want a bill that devotes most of its money to tax cuts. Okay, this is what they think. The Republicans seem to think that ta cutting taxes will be 
the answer to fixing the economy. And there's been a lot of going back and forth. The, the House Republicans have drafted an alternative to the, the, the stimulus package that the Democrats have put together. The key difference with this one, let me, let me first start by saying the White House-backed legislation uh, calls for roughly $550 billion in spending as well as $275 billion in tax cuts. Most of the spending goes towards health care, jobless benefits, food stamps, and other programs that benefit victims of the recession, which is growingly becoming pretty much everybody in the right. country. Okay? Now, the Republicans say we don't need all that. They've put forth a bill that basically is an extension of unemployment benefits and nothing but tax cuts. So they are, in essence, not in favor of creating new jobs. They're just in favor of cutting taxes. And here's the, the, the thing about tax cuts. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I won't get you wrong. I've got some. I probably have some information to back you up here. Give me right, David Walker. Okay. The uh, there's no way to say this without just sounding like I'm going to end it with like and those fat cats in Washington. But I mean, sure, your taxes are too high. Everybody's taxes are too high because of the stupid, useless freaking government would just manage their money properly. Look, I mean, you know, we didn't have a, a federal income tax in this country until I think 1913 or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't until, like, I mean, it sounds like a long time, it wasn't like 90 years ago, we, we didn't even have uh, an income tax. And actually, in my opinion, we could probably still get along without an income tax if we had things like, let's say, a national lottery, or if we were to relax. Uh, they were actually talking about this in the Dennis Miller show today. They were talking about relaxing the advertising uh, regulations on things like liquor and cigarettes and whatever. And you know what? And, you know, and while I'm at it, just legalize whoring. And, you know, the government taxes that. Also, certain kinds of drugs, if not all drugs, can be legalized, regulated, and taxed. And then the government makes money, and they don't have to take a big uh, chunk out of my ass every 15 days when I get paid. That being said, no one likes to pay taxes. But at this point... Speak for yourself. <laughs> I just don't... Like, I almost don't trust anybody that says that they're going to fix things while cutting taxes. Right? I think at this point, cutting taxes is just grossly irresponsible. Well, here, let me... I, I want to read this to you. I was reading this article today written by Keith Boykin. Keith Boykin is the editor of The Daily Voice, and he's also contributor to CNBC. Okay? He wrote an article that uh, appeared uh, either yesterday or today, Four Things the Republicans Don't Want You to Know About the Economy. And this, he, he breaks down some of what's going on with tax, both tax cuts and higher taxes, raising taxes. What's interesting to know is now the Republicans are pushing for tax cuts. That's what they want. Right. Uh, now, in 1929, Herbert Hoover cut marginal tax rates. Marginal ta tax rates are basic tax rates. Uh, people are, are, their taxes are based upon how much their income is. Uh, that was the lowest cut in modern history. The economy collapsed after that happened, just, just so people know. That that's what happened with, at that point, the biggest tax cut in history. Now, years later, in 1982, Ronald Reagan slashed taxes to the lowest level in 50 years. Now, in return, the unemployment jumped to its highest rate in 50 years. Well done, Ronald Reagan. In 2001 and 2003, George Bush cut taxes twice, and unemployment rose 6%. Okay? Now, higher taxes. Let's, let's talk about this a little bit. In 1944, Franklin Delano Roosevelt raised taxes to 94%. Okay? If you were making, if you were in the higher upper echelons, right. you were taxed 94% of your income. Okay? Unemployment dropped to 1.2%, the lowest unemployment in the history. And was this like his whole, because uh, I'm just, I'm not very bright about such things. Is this like his, could he have the whole public works thing? Yeah. Uh, where we're going to be like, a, I don't know, like, what are those things called? Jobs yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Now, Harry Truman raised taxes and uh, from 84% to 91%, and unemployment dropped by 
Okay? Now, between 1947 and 1973, the median family income rose 2.7%. While the marginal tax rate was lower than 70%. I don't know what all that means. I have no math skills at all. But basically None. what, what we're talking about is that if we were to raise taxes, which is, you know, that was Joe the Plumber's big thing. If you you want to raise taxes for people that are earning more than 250000 a year. Right. Well, they're not going to keep those tax rates that high forever. Okay? But if those are the people who are making money, guys like me who, you know, I made like $12 last year. <laughs> you know? I mean, seriously... I'm paying tax on 12 bucks, and I, that's not doing anything for the economy. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about that. That uh, really the uh, taxing taxing the income of someone who, uh, as you said, it really just it makes like uh, what I'm basically being paid in pogs at this point. Yeah. yeah. And and the thing that the thing is is that when when taxes are raised, they're raised for the pe- people who make proportionately more money. Now, I, you know the thing is is if, if someone's got to pay. Right now they're paying, I think, around 35% for people who are making $250,000 or more, okay? Well, if you're, say, making several million dollars a year and suddenly you've got to pay 60%, if you can't live off of the, that 40% that you're keeping, you're doing something wrong. And maybe here's the thing. How about this? And maybe once you get above a certain tax bracket, like if you're going to be paying more than 50%, you're automatically put into some sort of a lottery or a contest, and then, like, you know, one person, like, you know, everybody paying more than 50% taxes, your name goes into a hat. And at the end, they draw one name, and you get to take uh, somebody else's, uh, you know, taxes for that year. Yeah. It's like if you and I are making, you know, you and I are each paying 50, uh, 50% taxes. If I win, your 50% taxes, they just go to me. I win. Well, and the thing is, is that, you know, the, these Republicans who are, are all up in arms over spending and job creation and all that sort of stuff, and they just want to cut taxes, there's so many things that they're not taking, that they're not talking about. One of the things that's really interesting that I just read is that no Republican president in the last 50 years has been able to balance the budget okay the only presidents who were able to balance the budget was bill clinton who managed to do it four times and lyndon johnson who did it once you know why that's because bill clinton was because uh, he wasn't distracted he was satiated yeah. and i think you all know what i'm talking about <laughs> sam adams i'm looking at you all right we should take a break here we're way 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 behind okay we'll come back more from david walker around the corner oh and then i'll do this i, I have it right here I sent you an ad. Did you see the email I sent about this? All right. No, Sarah keeps pointing at this creepy story I'm holding in my hand. Not getting built up out of... Actually, no, it's pretty bad. I don't even like to look at the photo. No, the photo is what makes it really terrible. All right. Back after this. Don't go anywhere. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Stay there. All right. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson radio program. That's why I felt like the second, that's the second break in a row where we go into the break talking about something totally different. And by the end of the break, we are in fact back to talking about C. Thomas Howell in Soul Man. Uh, and so, so uh, C. Thomas Howell in Soul Man. Soul Man, by the way, which did, no, 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 I'm thinking of Cocktail. He gave us Kokomo. There's some awful Beach Boys compilation out there, like one of the 5,000. And it's like Beach Boys songs. And it's a, The whole gimmick of the compilation is Beach Boys songs that were made famous in films. And at one point, it's like, as made famous in Soul Man. <laughs> Which, by the way, that's the only time anybody's ever going to use the phrase as made famous uh, in and then Soul Man. Again, that's never going to happen anywhere else. Um, hey, here's three random things that were said today. One from David Walker, uh, who is uh, joining us today. You can, by the way, find out uh, more about him and read his various thoughts at badass, with a Z's, badassmofo.com or thedavidwalkersite.com. Um, 
David Walker said this. I almost don't even want to know what's behind this. It was just a phrase. We went into a break about an hour ago, and he said, Hey, have you seen that movie, Dead Clowns? And that was it. <laughs> and it's like, I almost don't even want to know what he's talking about. What are you talking about? Uh, you know, we were talking about creepy stuff. You were looking for clown music. Mm -hmm. That made me think how clowns are creepy, and then I know that you like zombies. Yes. And so there's a movie called Dead Clowns, and I and I thought, you know, if there's probably three or, there's probably three or four people in the world that I could count on, they would have seen it. You would have been one of them. Oh, never even and, heard of it. And you're lucky that you haven't seen it. Is it bad? It's terrible. It's beyond bad. Are they zombie clowns? They're supposed to be zombie clowns, yes, but they're, I, it's just, I, I, it, but they're more like supernatural zombie clowns. It's, it's almost no, like, I, if I remember correctly, it's sort of like the fog. Like these clowns were, were killed. With big shoes. Yeah, they, they, were, they were killed under, you know, like evil circumstances, <laughs> and now they've come back. I mean, when I say it's unwatchable, <laughs> it is. It's, um, You're making it sound like way more entertaining than it probably is. I have that problem. I do Dead have that clowns. Problem, but. Well, that's like that movie they've been talking about, Ain't It Cool? Lesbian Vampire Killers. Yeah. And right. I'm un the syntax there is sort of weird. I'm unclear about whether it's the vampires or the killers who are lesbians, or maybe all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, mean, I think it's probably a big ball of lesbians. You know Sarah what? Dillon who said a big ball of lesbians, by the way. Um, Sarah Dillon also said the following two things today. I'm not making either of these up. Sarah Dillon said, first, I keep forgetting to take that ADD test. <laughs> Would you like to give context or just let these stand on their own? It's true, I do. You're supposed to be taking, is this your shrink? Is it yes. mandated or suggested? Suggested. All right. Because you, she thinks, yeah, because she thinks I might have ADD. But you keep forgetting to take the test. I keep forgetting I think the answer is in the question. <laughs> uh, all right. Is this the Copeland test? I don't know what test it is. Is it a big red uh, and white form that has like... No, she said it's in something in a book, so not only do I have to take the test, but I have to go to Powell's and look like a jackass or I have to buy a book that... Right. Oh, it's I probably a Oh, I, I've got a book on ADD if you want to borrow it. There's a test at the end of the book. Is I it delivered it from my... distraction? That or something like that. That's, yeah. that's driven, the one. I, yeah, no, delivered from distraction is the, uh, or maybe one's a follow up to the other. I, it's something from distraction. I, I actually have it because someone once suggested to me, oh, you, maybe you have, you know, ADD. So I, I bought the book, couldn't finish reading it. Seriously, <laughs> no, same thing. The book delivered from distraction, and I swear to God, I read the first three pages. I got to finish this someday. Never done. Never. I, I got a little bit further into it, and I realized based on everything they were saying that I actually have ADD. But at that point, I was probably close to thirty, you know, late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, I remember but, thinking, well, I've gotten by this far. Yeah, but it's but it's almost like reading your horoscope, where you know, it's like you read your horoscope, and it'll say, you know, you will have an interesting conversation with someone today, and then you go. Oh my God! I had an interesting conversation with somebody. So That's it's crazy. like, do you have trouble focusing on things that you don't want to do? Well, yeah, I don't like doing laundry, so I don't focus on it. I, I you know, it's, it's well, it's like those Scientology tests. Yeah. The, one of the questions on that Scientology thing is like, would you rather give orders or receive them? Yeah. You know, and so. <laughs> uh, I can't find the name of the book. Damn it! And I was supposed to I'm buy sorry, it. Too. Skip forward to the point where I hold the paint cans. <laughs> okay. Anyway, yeah, it's a book. So I have to go buy this book. Like you this. actually were searching for your purse. You can't even find where you wrote down the name of the ADD book. I know. The one they made me take is the Copeland test. Well, maybe it is because I have to go and buy this book, so I'm going to look like an idiot pal being like, hey, I have to See, but I don't think you have to buy it. They, 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 I'll buy she, it for you. Well, she told me that I had to buy it. If it's a reputable shrink, and, but I'm sure she is, well, yeah, and I if like it's a lot. reputable ADD test, and if she really, this is just my opinion, if it's a reputable doctor who thinks you might actually have ADD, which which does exist, it's a real thing, mm -hmm. it, 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 then she, she's not making you go buy it. If she really thinks you have it, she's going to be like, here's the test. Sit down and take okay. it right now. Well, maybe because she's like me, because I I know I already have OCD, so it's like, how many more initial problems can I have? You OCD? should totally have a show, but it's like the OC, but it's the OCD. Ooh. There you go. That's my great idea. Um, Sarah Dillon also said this today. 
How can so much snot come out of one little head? <laughs> I'm kind of interested. The you know there's the the nasal passages are 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 huge. Sarah loves to think about uh, her cabiner's openings inside oh my her God. head. Oh We can talk. We'll talk about that during the no, break. David always. No, you already did this to me, David, about the like the I, nose water. I, but I didn't tell you about my sinus surgery when I had no. a, and 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 how Bad. something the size of a tennis ball came no. out. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. Was it solid no. or, or sort of no. just pulpy? Stop it was it. it was pulpy. Stop it. But you remember that scene in, in Total Recall when he pulls that thing out of his nose? Are you done? That's totally true. What color would you say it was? Oh um, my god. It was like a dark burgundy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. We're done. We're done. You done? You ready yeah. to move on to the creepy story? Yes, I am. Okay, David, now we have shielded you from the story, so we wanted to get your, your initial reaction to this. Yes. And we do have some audio, too, so just let me know when so you... So are we just doing the one piece of sound, or are we doing a bed underneath this? I have this? the bed. All right, so we'll go... Here's the thing. So Thank we're you, have a bed. Aaron Duran, as well. Uh, we'll read the story, and then there's a visual... There's an audio, an aural aid that goes with this as well. All right, let's go ahead and roll the bed. <clears throat> Should note for the record that... We should note for the record that I'm not making this up. This is true. This is from the Orlando Sentinel. A Jacksonville promotions company plans to sell a doll as a tribute to slain toddler Kaylee Anthony. The inspirational Kaylee Sunshine doll will go on sale Tuesday for $29.99. The blonde-haired 18-inch doll wears jeans and a t-shirt depicting a sun and the phrase... Kaylee Sunshine. The song You Are My Sunshine plays when her belly button is pushed. Jamie Salcedo, president of Showbiz Productions, says he's not selling a doll that looks exactly like Kaylee because that would be too morbid. Instead, he said they want to honor and respect Kaylee's life by bringing awareness to her case. Salcedo said this is the first product his promotion company will sell that is inspired by the victim of a crime. He plans to donate a portion of the proceeds to charity, though he does not have an organization lined up just yet. He said he's waiting to hear back from several organizations. Asked whether it's appropriate for his company to profit off Kaylee's death, Salcedo said he's anticipating critics. He said, well, uh, I think that is going to come up. He also said the public does not understand what it costs to make a doll and what his company's expenses are in justifying the $30 price tag. Once again... Jacksonville Promotions Company plans to sell a doll as a tribute to slain toddler Kaylee Marie Anthony. When you press her belly button, you will hear this song. Oh, my Once again, not making this up. It's all part of life's rich pageant. Right. What do you think, David Walker? David Walker? Wow, that's all I have to say. Um, Was it worth the wait? As, you know, it's just, it's not, it isn't gross or anything. It's just infuriating to me. And it makes me realize my need to push my, for benevolent fascism, yes. in which I'm the world ruler. And, um,. And then we could execute this guy who wants to make this doll. That's David Walker who said that. <laughs> That's in a parallel world. That's in Bizarro World. <laughs>
Back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Show. Like liquid paper? No, like, uh... Your flame isn't supposed to be white. Like, bro, bro, loves reflection on this chest. Okay. My phlegm is the color of Bo Breedlove. love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds wrong. Did we read the story about how uh, Adam's PR guy stepped down, his spokesperson? Yes. yes, we did. Yeah. All right, well, there you go. That's got to be a job I wouldn't want to have, right? Well, that's, you know what? That's I would take any job right about now. I'm unemployed. <laughs> There's an opening. Somebody hire David Walker yeah. before he becomes president, you know, in this downtime before you're... Our next great elected official. Now that Obama's done it, it it really took the pressure off of me. In high school, i got to be honest with you guys. In high school, me and my friends, there was that moment where, you know, you're figuring out what you're going to do with your life. And I was like, do I go to law school or do I, you know, become, try to become like an artist of some sort? I chose being an artist of some sort. But I I was, I seriously was considering law school and all that sort of stuff. And and we were, my friends, and then you could run for president. And we, I figured I would run in, uh... 2008, actually, because mm-hmm. I would have been... 2004, I would have been old enough, but I would have been still young enough that people wouldn't have accepted me right. as a viable candidate. How old are you? I'm old enough to be president of the United States. How old is that? Over 35. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I, look, I can be president of the United States. How yeah. exciting Thanks. for you. That's great. Thanks. Dreams can come true. We, should, we could maybe run... like I can, I'd, I'd be more than happy to be your vice president. Sort of like a Emerson Walker. Yes. Walker Emerson thing. Well, well, I like Walker Emerson. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'm, you know, I'm happy to be the number two. Doesn't matter. That's uh, that's okay. All right, so we were going to ask him because David was asking whether or not um, he had OCD. Yes. So two things. One, you got to uh, the next time you see your shrink, you got to ask her about the ADD test. Okay. I say not at all because I want you to read the test results on the air so that I can milk it for comedy. I read mine. Well, you talk about yeah, you have ADD. Yes. Uh, oh, I full on. I took the test and it was like out of a hundred, I scored like an eighty-nine, which is bad by the way. Like zero is well, you don't I have it. Maybe I can find the test online. I can bring mine in. I still got it. Okay, awesome. I'm bring mine and you can I will take totally, it. I will totally. I'd probably score up in in the in the eighty. We should make everybody who comes on the show take that. I'd, hey, I'd be willing to do it. So Sarah and I both, though, uh, are very OCD, and we got a lot of things that we are compelled to do. Sarah, tell me the chewing. So many. Okay, the chewing. I whenever like if I don't know if you've seen me with these goldfish crackers, like I have to have them. Yeah. One on either side of my mouth and chew them exactly at the same time. Okay. <laughs> what if you get down to? But could you have two on one side and yeah, one on the other? Yeah, sometimes I can, but it's uncomfortable. Yeah. See, uh, what about sunglasses? Mm, I, have, I was telling him I have like sixty pairs of sunglasses. What happens if you see a pair of sunglasses you like but you leave without buying them? I can't not do that. But that, what happens? That does, it doesn't happen. But what would, I don't know think what about would happen. It. Think about it. I don't know what would happen. Think about not buying a pair of sunglasses. No. See? So you feel compelled to do it. Uh, when I'm walking down the street and there's cracks or seams where the sidewalk sections go together, yeah. I must, whenever I get into a new section, I start counting the number of steps, one, two, three, but then it resets every time I cross a seam or a crack. One, two, one, All right, two, David, walk three, four. Wow. OCD traits, <laughs> habits, things you do compulsively. See, maybe you aren't. Uh, well, one of my friends put this one in my head. If I'm walking down the street with somebody and say there's uh, – it doesn't matter if it's a, it's a if it's telephone pole or, a, you know, a parking meter or whatever, fire hydrant, I cannot walk – I cannot let it separate our path. I have to, you know, <laughs> stay next to that person. That's, you and, are one of us. Do you have to walk – do you have to you go have... out of your way sometimes? I, well, you know what it'll do? I will think about who I'm walking with, and if it's really important to me, I will – like 
backtrack so that we're not separated. And it's a, a friend of mine put that one in my head. Um, I also, I, I'm really weird about, like, you know, if you're walking by, say, like, a, a, um, a sewer grating, and I start thinking, like, man, I really hope my car keys don't fall down there. And Even, even though, though they're in your pocket? Yes, yes. And, I mean, I will become, like, super obsessed. Like, I'll double-check to make sure they're in my pocket just so they can't fall Welcome down to the family, Oh, my David God, Walker. you are one of us. That is the first true OCD answer we've had. Good for you. Well done, sir. I have nothing to hide. He's David Walker. You can find him at badassmofo.com or the David davidwalkersite.com. Join us tomorrow when our guest will include uh, Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com uh, and somebody else who I'm forgetting at the moment. We're having uh, Liz Summer. Tomorrow. I believe. And then also somebody else. No, I got nothing. Uh, Sarah Dillon, Richie Bristol, Dave's in, Bridget from upstairs, uh, and Susan Reynolds. I'm Rick. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye now. What color would you say it was? Oh, um, my God. It was like a dark burgundy. Oh!